five, four, three, two, one. Janet Michael Jackson. Oh, Janet Jackson. That's right. It's Janet Jackson. afternoon good people wherever you are i am jamila and i'm here with jesse and we're doing an episode of music and we it's been i think two years two years <laughs> yeah and there are actually some episodes that we did but they got lost in the vaults so my laptop where all the files of those episodes were on died and so I was not able to get them together to put them up. So there's one story. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I probably could get them back at some point, but then they'll just be classic episodes from the vault or something like that. But yeah, the laptop died that the falls were on. And then a lot of other stuff had been happening <laughs> in the last couple of years, particularly the last year. And there is a little thing called the pandemic that happens. <laughs> that, that, that definitely wouldn't stop anyone from doing an episode, but that definitely is something that happened over the years. What happened to you, Jesse? Right. What have you been oh, doing just the past been, couple of years? Ooh, past <laughs> couple of years. Um, Minneapolis to leaving Europe to being um, just like in a lot of different dances. Uh, chief among them, the AAPRP. That's how me and Jamila often. Yes, all African People's uh, Revolutionary Party. So we both organized there. We organized there. And, you know, <laughs> that's been really fun and just really, uh, I mean, I remember talking about this to her just a long time ago before it actually just happened. So that's been cool. And just like really still listening to music and it's just so much has happened within those two years. It's crazy when you really think about like, and even the personal things, of course. Uh, amazing that. I mean, I'm glad we're doing this right now because, of course, we have a lot to update, and a lot to say within that time. Yes, one thing uh, that did happen over the past couple of years is you wrote a book. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Paradise Clarity. <laughs> Paradise Clarity came out this, uh, I guess, this May. Uh, uh, in June, those two months, pretty much, but there it's still available now. And that was, you know, my journey of seven years of poetry. Um, so that's pretty like, wow, that's that's happened. <laughs> Working on my next one right now. I'm really happy about this one because it'll be more personal and spiritual to where I'm able to really put myself like just open challenges with the fate and the fate of um, various destiny so yeah that's that's definitely uh, you know that's a thing thing. oh i guess i'll talk about what happened to me yeah (laughs) oh no so wow how can i start with this um i got in an accident 
and both my legs got massively damaged and I had to get both legs skin grafted. Everything got messed up. I had a concussion, six or seven staples in my head. Uh, fortunately, the middle part of me is okay, as far as I know. Uh, I think something happened to my spleen, uh, which I found out later. <laughs> I didn't get that figured out. But uh, the bottom half of me uh, took the biggest hit. So I was on my bicycle on the way to my job, literally like five minutes away from my job. And I got ragdolled by a semi-truck. And I don't know anything that happened in between me getting hit and me being on the ground. So I can't remember anything. That's really true. So (laughs) and when I woke up, I just saw a bunch of people over me. No, before that, I think I actually passed out again, maybe because I woke up and then I saw my left leg just look like an L. And I was like, I, my leg I was broken. So I looked at my leg, it looked like an L it was, uh, going off to the left. And then I look at my bike, and it's about 10 feet away from me. So clearly the impact of the hit threw me back about 10 feet from my bike. And, uh, and then I think I was just screaming, but nothing came out. Tears didn't come. I was just like, just silently screaming and then I might have passed out again I don't know because the next thing I know I woke up with a woman whose uh, hand was uh, on my head and she's saying you know it's okay don't cry and then uh, a bunch of other people over me saying chill you know you got hit by a truck and I guess what happened was I tried to crawl because it was on a, a highway so the backstory is it was a bunch of snowstorms that happened. And the part of the bridge that I would normally ride on, it was massively covered in snow, about three, four feet of snow. So there's no way I could ride or even walk on it. So I said, you know, there's really not much of a choice I have. I'm just going to ride in the street part, which is obviously more dangerous. But again, I did not have any choice whatsoever. The highway that I rode on in the first place was pretty dangerous, does not have a shoulder, um, cars are just speeding. So um, I figured, you know, I figured it would be inevitable something was to happen, but not of this magnitude. <laughs> so yeah, I got a ragdolled, uh, people were over me. Uh, fortunately, um, the universe presents endorphins and adrenaline and all that because I didn't feel anything. I'm so happy. And uh, I remember them transferring me to a board, putting me in uh, the paramedics. And the next day I woke up. I don't remember anything that happened. So they must have put me on a whole ton of drugs because I don't remember anything And I woke up the next day in a massive amount of pain for the next month in so much pain that no amount of drugs helped, even though I was on a ton of them. And then came the next stage where my right leg got amputated. So the left leg uh, permanently has pins and rods in it and the right leg is amputated. So um, to kind of round this out with what the main subject of this episode is. Before all of this happened, uh, me and a coworker 
we would be just rocking Metallica really loud. And we'd be like, yeah, we would play Master of Puppets. We would do all this. We would play all this Metallica and have so much fun. But right before the accident, the song one just kept popping up. And I would just play it repeatedly over and over and over. I would also play Battery a lot. <laughs> but one is a song that I just kept playing over and over and over at my job. It would it would go off, and then I'd be like, repeat, and then just all day. I have no idea why. And I was thinking a lot about the book Johnny Got His Gun, which is one of my favorite books. And... That song is themed around that book. And uh, for some reason, I was thinking about that book a lot. And then the song. And then the accident happened. And of course, sitting in the hospital in so much pain. And then going with the realization that my leg had to be amputated, the song came up even more. I didn't even listen to the song when I was in the hospital, but the song was in my head. The lyrics just kept playing out in my head and I think it was literally and and I'll go into a little bit more stuff as we go along but it was literally the first time I ever openly said I wanted to die like obviously it's it's something that I've thought and I'll get more into that spoilers (laughs) or trigger warnings I should really say um but I think that was the first time that those words ever came out of my mouth. I want to die. I was in so much pain. And you know, p- people um, saying, you're so optimistic with everything that's happened to you. Why aren't you mad at the guy who hit you, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just happy to be alive. I'm not even thinking about all this other stuff. Like Most people don't um, survive a, a massive accident like that especially if you're not in a car. So coming out of that, I was just happy to be alive. I'm just so grateful to be alive and um, just processing all of that. And to be honest, it happened back in February, February 12th, 2021. And the whole thing that rounds this out for me is uh, I was thinking about, what was it? Uh, the six six month of me being hit, it was uh I think was it February, March, April, May, June, July, yeah, August. So August twelfth, twenty twenty one was the thirtieth anniversary of the black album. And I did not even realize that and all wow. of this came together for me. So as I'm processing this band Metallica and experiencing them in a whole different light post-accident and then I'm like oh August 12th is the 30th anniversary of the Black Album the universe is so weird (laughs) (laughs) always in line this is all come together so my experience with this band and we'll get into it but that's the long and the short of it I'm going to be talking a whole lot because this episode I, I just feel like my experience uh, growing with Metallica as a teenager to now being 45 years old, this experience has uh, come to mean so much to me, and I'm really excited to do this episode. Yes, it is not about Michael or Prince. Uh, we realize that, but 
there there's uh, something we're going to address and I I think just with everything that's happened to me and Metallica coming into the fold as being part of this experience does mean so much and it's very significant and I don't take anything for granted so I'll just put it that way and I feel like um so much of how I experienced their music as a teenager and in my 20s is so different as a person that is going to be approaching 50 in a few years. It's a very different feeling of how you take in music as a young person and how you take it in when you are a younger person. And Right, uh, especially when you consider the fact that Metallica, let me just say, I... You know, because of Jamila, I, I've been listening to Metallica. I've listened to all of their albums, and I've caught a lot of their live stuff. And I know before I started listening to their albums, I just thought it was noise, loud guitar, noise. Screaming white guys over loud guitar and noise. Um, but now that I see the translation of that anger, I could imagine, to your point, listening to them when you first did up till now you know, all of that, it'll be a deeper reflection. So I just want to add to that. Yeah. Yes. So the purpose of this episode is <laughs> me and Jesse are going to MTF Metallica Turns 40, a.k.a. Metallica's 40th anniversary shows. Which yeah! In San Francisco, <laughs> which is their base, <laughs> on December 17th and December 19th. There's going to be a whole bunch of other events happening that weekend, but the primary events are the two Metallica Turns 40 shows. And I just am I'm so looking forward to going with you, Jesse, to these shows, especially yeah. just hearing your experiences uh, in terms of how you look at Metallica and how you've come to know them, how you've come to love them. And I guess here's where we talk about how we came to know them. <laughs> and I'm going to be quiet and let you talk about that. I've talked enough as it is. So far. Yeah, well, this is not going to be pretty <laughs> lengthy because I just discovered Metallica through, again, Jamila. I was not listening to Metallica. And it's funny because, of course, I've heard of them for a long time. I have friends that would mention their name. I knew that they were huge, but I had no real interest or door to like discovering them until Jamila was just like, you should listen to their albums. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give myself this challenge. You know, all of their albums are on title. And um, I listened to every single last one of them and I'm still listening to them. And I'm really impressed, like from the songwriting and I love guitar solos. So that's one thing that's just like, I don't know why I haven't been listening to them because there's a lot of that bass solos and just like a, a loud sound, um, a sound that's just like like the rhythm guitar is just like really nice. And again, the lyrics, I really appreciate James Hetfield's writing. I mean, I, I just think that obviously inspires me as a writer myself. I mean, he's able to put in a lot of big themes and very simple, you know, lyrics i mean it's like a few lines and it's like bam you got you thinking so i really appreciate that and i also didn't realize the connections of course to prince in the sense that because of their you know fame and just 
how do you say, like they're larger than life. Like everybody, like Metallica is a huge band. Because of that, they're going to attract a select crowd. And everybody knows, just like in the Prince community, obviously in the Metallica community, there's a sense of um, just like everyone is particular about certain things, typically. Like there's a general flow. And I've noticed similarities because a lot of the Metallica fans, you know, in terms of the style of how they play, prefer how it used to sound back in the day. Um, and that's kind of how a lot of Prince fans are, too, when it comes to how Prince, you know, when he first started, they're like, oh, I want him to do that, that Minneapolis sound or the, the, the sound that the revolution took from. Like, they didn't really appreciate the evolution. And Metallica, much like Prince, took advantage of what they felt the need was. Like, they followed the will of their spirit. They didn't go to, like, the typical um, commercial access and so that's you know just noticing those similarities too and and how they approach their fans and how they approach the people who actually support them the similarities are really abundant and so it's just like yeah listening to them now and really like getting into the depth of the personality of each of the band members because of course you know it's like they have a very interesting history when it comes to uh who's played in the band who's still in the band and they all just make this huge music conglomerate known as Metallica that, I mean, and I'm excited to see them live because I've never would have imagined, um, you know, seeing something like this live as opposed to just, like I said, I wasn't even listening to it. So seeing it live and, and also just knowing how they can go even deeper um, when they're performing it. And then they're going to be hometown, so they're going to be where, where they're from. So it's like, where they, but it's just like, yeah, this is going to be pretty cool. Um, and I'm excited because I'm already enjoying their music. I was listening to them a lot today in preparation of the podcast and really like, just like, yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. And I don't think I'm not even fully, I don't think I've even fully got it because I haven't even seen them yet. But I know by the time I see them, it's going to be of course, we're going to do a follow-up um, episode and talk about that because even <laughs> that's going to be even, I mean, who knows what I'll think then, but it's just like, I don't have any expectations. I'm just going in it with the joy of appreciating a band that I had no clue um, to the extent in which they delivered. And yeah, they definitely delivered. Like, they, they, there is, it's, no, it's no game. So before I ask you this question, I definitely want to give a shout out to Clinton Ethan of Metal Up Your Podcast. Metal Up Your Podcast has definitely become one of my favorite podcasts. Clearly, their title is a, a play on Metal Up Your Ass <laughs> from Metallica, which was uh, their demo, one of the demo. They had a power metal demo. They had uh, several things going around, and then they had the Metal Up Your Ass and then they wanted that to be the name of their first album and the record execs were like no and management and everything was like no and then cliff burton the bass player who is the second bass player <laughs> or technically third because uh, james played bass on uh the first rendition of hit the lights mm-hmm. and then you had ron mcgovney play bass and then you had cliff burton 
So it's a long story, which you're probably not going to get in here because you can listen to many other Metallica podcasts. We are definitely not experts on Metallica. We're just talking about our perspectives. But Metal Up Your Podcast, there's Alpha Metallica. I don't think Alpha Metallica is around anymore. There's so many podcasts who do a much better job than we will do (laughs) in terms of all of this stuff. But... um, I find that to to your point about some people preferring the older stuff, I think it depends on oh, when, as Mellow Up Your Podcast folks say, when you came online. Um, so uh, some people came on with Load, so that might be their favorite album. Some people came on uh, with Justice, so that's their favorite album. Uh, some people, you know, that came on the Black album, so they rate that higher than other albums. So I think it depends on right. uh, where you came to know them in a lot of cases. Um, that's not always the case, but I think for a lot of cases that is. And uh, But my question to you before I, I get into uh, how I came to know Metallica, <laughs> what was the one song or moment that sealed it for you that you go, okay, I understand? Oh... Um, so there were a couple of songs, I think, because I, I do definitely think while listening to their albums that there's a, like listening to them in the eighties and then listening to them in the nineties and, you know, onward, there was an evolution for sure. And I can't say that the original albums, um, from, you know, Kill 'Em All, for instance, I wasn't necessarily, it wasn't as memorable because a lot of it sounded very just like, you know, heavy guitars, heavy bass, heavy drums is just like, yeah, type thing, you know. So I wasn't able to really say it was, uh, I mean, I do, out of that whole thing, I'm thinking of my favorite track, which is Anastasia, because I love that bass. Uh, but I think the song that really. Just, this is not Prince. It's not Anastasia. It's Anastasia. Anastasia. <laughs> I always say that. This is not a Prince episode, homeboy. No, just. <laughs> Anesthesia, yes. Um, but I would say the song that really did it for me, uh, that made me like, yeah, I got it, was uh, probably Nothing Else Matters, as corny as that is. Um, and also, no, actually, it was probably My Friend of Misery, if I'm being truthful. My Friend of Misery. Um, really? Yeah, because I was listening to that one again. And I remember when I first heard it, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's a that." And then, of course, after that, I heard the Load album, Devil's Dance, King Nothing. Those two, in particular, just really had me like, "Yeah, yeah." I remember just really just like, "Yeah," when I heard those two, An Outlaw, Torn. Um, it was yeah, it was. I really was able to just because all of the music and the lyrics kind of harmonized at that point. Um, because like I said before, then it was kind of like not as like I was I was enjoying it, but I I, I was noticing. Um, oh, I guess it just it didn't really hit me as much as the the others did. And then from then onward, I can just really see that they kind of maintained on that that thread, even with you know Death Magnetic, and of course um, their latest one, Hardwired to Self Destruct. So. Wow. Okay. See, that's what I mean. Like when you 
come to know them, it sort of shifts how you view their music. And I think what you said was a perfect example. For me, I don't know exactly when I came to know Metallica. I was about 14 years old. And I think it was this dude I went to high school with named Lonnie. I don't <laughs> know where Lonnie is, but he he actually reminded me of Cliff Burton. He had that vibe and he had tattoos. He had, he had sleeves. And that's the two things that I knew that I was going to be as an adult. <laughs> yes. That's an anti-capitalist. So, <laughs> the two things that I knew. And I feel like Lonnie was, was the gateway to that. And I just saw that and I knew I just knew that I fell in love with seeing people covered head to toe in tattoos. And I knew that's what I wanted. And that's what's going on today. So I'm really <laughs> you just got some tattoos on your palm. <laughs> so I um so I was hanging out with Lonnie, have no idea what happened to him. I think he either dropped out or got kicked out. I don't remember. But it might have been him or someone like that who introduced me to Metallica. And I was introduced to Kill 'em All and Master of Puppets around the same time. So I don't remember which one was first. And when you ask people, most people know, yeah, it was this album. I honestly don't remember. So <laughs> but it was between those two and I would listen to I would wear them out. I had them on cassette. And I used to write poetry that apparently did match Kill 'em All. <laughs> Somebody literally wow. told me they read it and it was like, this sounds like Kill 'em All. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and so Battery was my jam. Battery was my favorite song at that time. And December 3rd, 1991, me and like 15 other people went to see Metallica. And Buffalo, New York, I don't remember the venue offhand right now, but it was cold, obviously, December 3rd, and I did not remember the set at all until recently, within the past couple years or so, and they did Battery. It was like the first or second encore, and let me tell you, because this was a time I had leg, two legs, right, so I went off. Oh. I was like, battery, that is my song. So I went off. And then they opened with, because this was the uh, Wherever We May Roam tour, and they started off uh, with Enter Sandman. So everyone was like, because the album was already huge by that point. And it was, a, even though it was the first leg of their tour, the album came out, I think, in June or something, June or July, something like that. So, you know, everybody named Mama had that album. So, and then they had the thing at the beginning where they showed them backstage. I was like, ah! everyone's like, ah! and then they had the um, the snake pit and all that. And uh, I had nosebleed seats. I was on the side of Jason, but I you I could see the band pretty well from where I was sitting, even though it was nosebleed. So it was it was a pretty good setup. And me, I was just like, I like Kirk. Because <laughs> honestly, uh, James Hetfield scared me. I, I, I'm a 14 year old girl. James Hetfield scared me, even though my poetry or whatever was similar to the lyrics. But he just seemed like a scary guy to me. And of course, there's the scary guy logo and all that. 
but he was just like, yeah. and I'm like, okay, I don't know. And Kirk was just like, he was quiet. And, you know, I just, I was like, Kirk, I like him. And then Jason was scary too, especially you see him live. He's so intense. And when you do creeping death, he's like, so light, I've been written. And it's, it's right. amazing. But they all scared me except for Kirk. Even Lars scared me. <laughs> they all scared me except for Kirk. <laughs> it was an amazing show. And I remember, I don't even remember who I went with or who was like, let's go see Mattel. I don't remember anything. And I remember, though, going back to the house of uh, where we came from to see the show, everybody was sitting around listening to Ride the Lightning, being like, this is awesome, you know, and all this. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was great. And so, you know, it's been a 13-year, a 30-year journey for me, at least, 30, 31-year journey for me with Metallica. So, you know, watching Cliff Amal, um, seeing other live footage, um, seeing some of their other videos, all of this stuff, and the surprise of Load and Reload. And that took everyone aback at that time because uh, the, you think the Black Album took everybody aback? It was like Load was this whole different thing. They're wearing makeup and, 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 uh, Lars and Kirk are like talking each other down and I was just I thought that was cool I was like oh that's cool like okay and, <laughs> and it was just all these different elements and it was more of a, a hard rock element and we'll talk about the albums but it just made me realize that every single Metallica album is different from one another and people wanted them to be in a particular box, but that's impossible. Like yeah. from Kill 'em All to Ride the Lightning, those didn't even sound alike. So to expect not at all to, to go back to Kill 'em All when it's 1996, that makes no sense. So I, I definitely enjoyed this journey. However, there were a few moments where uh they got the side eye from me and I was just like, I don't know. I don't know about this. So it was a, around the time of Death Magnetic. And so they had the whole thing where um people were being tortured through music at Guantanamo. And um so James Hetfield did an interview around that time. And I don't know if he understood the magnitude of what was going on, because I think he he has done his best over the years to stay out of political issues, uh, some instances aside. But he's like, we're in a political ban. I don't understand what that means. I think everything's political. So that's that's a whole other other episode. But he did an interview on a German show and uh, the interview was kind of pushing him. And you could tell that that. James was very uncomfortable with it. And so I, I think the interviewer wasn't necessarily reading the room and just kept pushing it. And I think there's a point where you just don't, like he gave you an answer. You don't, you don't really have to keep pushing it because he's not going to give you a different one. That said, so Headfield was just like, yeah, you know, I think it's, they're playing our music. People should be exposed to our music. And you know, we're about aggression and all of this. And I really don't know if he understood the context. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think he was saying it's okay for people 
to be tortured with our music. I don't think he was saying that. I really hope not. <laughs> but I, I, but I think that he didn't understand the context, and he was just like, "It's okay that they're playing our music." Like everyone, and I was like, "No." So of course, me and a whole bunch of other people who were into this band were like, "Yeah, like that's a huge." point that got taken off for a time and so it was hard for me to listen to their music because I'm like where I stand politically and stuff like that's the exact opposite so I don't want to support musicians who are just like yeah it's okay you know and and of course um they did renounce their music being used for torque they they did eventually do that but um but that interview and just the comments that came at that time were just like no 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 so so there were a few moments in my experience in Metallica where I was like I don't know about this so um but and then there was uh some kind of monster so I went to see that when it came out and just where I was I was how old was I 22 24 I don't remember somewhere in my early to mid 20s and I'm watching this and I'm just like, Metallica, yeah. And a lot of, same thing with a lot of people. We're like, what is this? What, what is going on? <laughs> What's happening? So I was just in shock. Like, here's this band just bickering with each other. Like, what, what is happening? Jason Newstead left. Y'all are bickering. And y'all are doing it in front of a camera. Like, why are you doing it? Just like, figure it out. You know, and so in the context of all of that, Again, in retrospect, being someone in my 40s and, and even 30s, like, I understood. I understood, and I've definitely come to appreciate that whole era. And I know a lot of people don't, and a lot of fans hate that era, but I happen to love it. Because I have, I, I've, I've grown a massive appreciation for the amount of vulnerability they showed during that period. Through the 90s, I feel like the 90s was the most vulnerable period. And I love the fact that that it happened, whether or not it was on camera. I, I just love it. So, yeah, I, I feel like this journey for me has been, it, it's come full circle in a way. For me being this angry teenager who hated the world and hated people and hated everything. And to now I'm just like, okay, a, a, a lot more optimistic about what is to come. Grateful for life working to let go of a lot of the pain I've experienced and to not really blame anyone, just to to work through it and work on healing. And I feel like a lot of that can um, be translated through the experience of Metallica as well. So even if there are differences on various levels, I'm going to get to that. But even if there are those particular differences, even if they've done things which I had to give the side eye to, I'm really grateful for experiencing Metallica. And I'm grateful to come to this point where I can see how they've become teachers in my own life. I look at anything and everything as a potential to be a teacher. And I know they just had the, what do you call that? that uh, the thing where people, I'm forgetting the name of it, <laughs> but they're like, we're teachers now. And uh, 
masterclass. Masterclass, yeah. So they had the masterclass thing recently. Yeah, for me, I, I think they are teachers in other ways. Just coming again full circle with this experience, I'm really grateful for it. I don't know if I will ever meet them. And I don't know if it's something that needs to happen. If it does, I think that will be wonderful. I thought great. But if it doesn't, it's not, I'm not going to be devastated over it. I think that, you know, my experience through their music says a lot. But I will say, if I were to meet any and or all of them, and I had a few minutes, I would just say, thank you. Thank you for teaching me so much. Thank you for helping me make sense of death. And we're going to get to that because, <laughs> but just the, not just a physical death, but uh, like in a lot of ways, death of the ego, as people tend to use ego, uh, death of physical parts of myself, not the whole, but, you know, making sense of all of this, losing a leg. I think the musical journey with Metallica has honestly helped me to make sense of that to also help me make sense of the experiences of dealing with people who, you know, I feel could have been the most supportive during this time, this most vulnerable time, and they have not been uh, and on one level or another. I think the journey with Metallica has also helped me to make a lot of sense with that. And uh, music, can really be a healing tool. I know you were talking about before you started listening to Metallica, you thought of it as noise. A lot of people do. But I think there is something healing in a lot of that noise. Like there's beauty in noise. I saw it when I was 14. I saw it when I was in my 20s and I'm seeing it now even more. I feel like there's even more beauty because of the maturity that, uh, I've encountered the maturity that I've had to go through. So that is, uh, yeah, that's my journey, how I came to to come to know them initially and how I've come to know them now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I told you, I have a lot to say about this episode because I, I don't even know these people, but they do mean a lot to me again because of so many of the teachable moments. <laughs> Well, that's why you think so that can kind of go to our next tenet of um why I mean why going to Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Do you want to go? Because again, I I have so much to say. So I'm gonna let you go and then I'll go. Well all I can say right now is that of course I this was a uh gift from Jamila to me. I mean I'm really uh she just surprised me with like you going we going to the foyer and you know, we arranged it and it's going to happen. And I, again, I don't know a lot about Metallica. I'm just learning the language. I'm learning about the battle vest. I'm learning about like the different, you know, ways they approach their music. Because again, what I reference a lot is, you know, I'm going back to Prince. It's like, you know, when Prince performed live, sometimes he would do something special for the fans, especially if he was at Paisley Park. And I'm not necessarily comparing San Francisco to Paisley Park, but in the contrast type of way it's like we're going to be in the hometown of these people they're going to know the crowd is special it's going to be a special crowd so um usually with special crowds you get things that are not done 
as often. So I'm preparing and obviously not having any expectations, but it would be interesting to see if they manage to treat this crowd um, in a way where they, you know, they do songs they haven't done in a while because usually, you know, that's that's to be expected. But um, I'm just interesting, interested in seeing how they're going to throw down live, especially to commemorate such a legendary album. I think you're going to enjoy it. I really do. <laughs> I know. I know I'm going to enjoy it. I can just tell the energy is going to be pretty wild. Oh, my goodness. Oh, why I love Metallica. Oh, <sighs> this is this is turning into a novel. <laughs> Um, I I love Metallica not only because of what I just said about coming full circle with them, but I love that they never stay in any creative boxes. They went to thrash. They did some classical elements. They did hard rock. They did just basic rock. They did four on the floor stuff. They did Lulu. They, I'm like, what? They did... Um, S&M 1 and 2, they just so much, soundtracks, it's just so much that you can't put this band in any kind of box, and anybody who tries, it's impossible. <laughs> so they went to thrash, back to thrash, and everything in between. So I, I love it. And another thing I, I love is that Subconsciously or not, they encourage people to read. So particularly with their earlier stuff, they base a lot of the songs and the lyrics off of books. So whether it's Hemingway, whether it's H.P. Lovecraft, whether it's, uh, you know, one is based on Johnny Got His Gun, you know, uh, uh, Sanitarians based on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Like they have so many literal elements and not literal like literal like I'm being literal but literal in books and and so there are so many people like yeah if it wasn't for Metallica I wouldn't read I think that's great wow yeah that's great and I never yeah yeah, understood that connection that's cool yeah I just love when bands you know again whether or not it's subconscious like people enjoy reading and I love that Uh, so I I love that their riffs are singable so say they play a riff everyone's singing it i love that i love that so much and it doesn't compromise the integrity of the songs so it's not you know it's singable it's catchy but it's not in the vein of pop and i love that <laughs> yeah and that's yeah it's definitely not really pop not, you know, no. <laughs> not some people might think so but uh yeah it's not Oh. <laughs> it's popular I guess but it's not in the pop genre and I I love ah, the heart on the sleeve lyrics I I, I love yeah. them I love them so much um the first instance of that would be Dyer's Eve and then kind of went okay we're gonna we're gonna make some other songs like that I love that they're not technically proficient I don't care what anybody says and I think that's part of their in, endearing quality I re- it's like there's a time where they played the Download Festival and Dave Lombardo played a couple songs. Joey Jordanson, R.I.P., played a couple of songs for them. And I thought they were great, but it's not Metallica. I think like right. all the elements that make Metallica 
it, what it is because of all the personalities of that band. Lars is not a metronome. I love that. If he was, it'd be a whole different band. Like, if they're going to make the most technical Lars was, was the Justice album. And I, you know how I feel about that. I love that album. But do I want every album sounding like that? No. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you listen to, uh, you know, for whom the bell tolls, if you listen to that kind of stuff, like, he does not stay on time, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> right. I love it. And uh, actually, Lars and Dave Lombardo, who's in Slayer, who uh, drummed with the Misfits, Suicide Attendant, like he drums in so many bands, in uh, Dead Cross, all these other bands, but he was most famously in Slayer. He's one of my favorite drummers of all time. I love the guy. And Lars and Dave Lombardo are the reason that I wanted Tama drums. I never got them. Drums are expensive. But they are the reason I saw them. And I was like, I want Tama drums. Because drumming, drums are my first love. And so I saw them and I was like, I want some Tamas. (laughs) 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 So I was like, oh, okay. Um, So... Now I want to get specifically into band members because there's very specific things I love about these dudes. And so I'm going to start with Lars. Lars Ulrich. <laughs> the little Danish guy. So, again, I love how he is in a metronome. I just, I, like, you can hear him going off the grid if there is one on every single album. Again, except Justice. I love it. Like, right. like the end of the Atlas Rise when he's doing that, it's just like, okay. <laughs> like, it's just not, it's like, what? I love it. <laughs> For whom the bell tell, it's just like, it's swinging, but it's, it's not, it's, I love it. And I, and so all the band, the rest of the band have had to get used to that. And it worked for them. It's great. <laughs> so, like, if he's not, on a grid on the albums do people really think he's gonna not be all over the place uh, on live live performances it just uh, so lately he has been a little bit more on time there's a debate whether or not he's using a click i don't know it might be a, a click on a couple moments i don't think it's for the whole show but whatever works for them it's working i think they are amazing. I mean, I don't think they've not been amazing, but I think I love the fact that the songs are slower. Uh, I love the fact, yeah. that, you know, he's kind of just like, okay, cool. You know, like, I love that. I, I love, I love like two of my favorite, uh, obviously the Seattle, everyone's like Seattle, the Seattle show, the infamous 1989 Seattle show, Damage Justice tour. Everyone, that's everyone's favorite show. I love the Metal Hammer show from 1985. <laughs> that is probably in my top two. I love it. <laughs> and it's it's literally like 300 BPM. I don't know 300. No, wow. but it's so <laughs> fast. Yeah, so. It's so fast. And I love that kind of stuff, but I also love when the songs are slowed down. And so they're playing the songs more on the level of the, the album BPMs. I love it. It's okay. Like, I don't think they need to be firing at all cylinders at all times. It's okay. No. Sometimes when, when somebody plays that fast, you can't really hear the song. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you're there and it's just the, the energy and everything, but sometimes you want to hear the song too and take it in. So I do like that they are playing slower. So, yeah. 
No, I appreciate that too, because I mean that's the thing. Because if you don't take it slow, as I said, it sounds like just like loud guitar noise. Like it's like what's happening? Like what are they saying? And they're saying awesome things, or at least mind provoking, thoughtful things. So I want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like again, drums have always been my first love. And uh, fortunately, when I was young, I never was able to get them. But I would borrow people's drums when I'd be at their houses and not playing drums in bands. And that was the only time I got to practice. So it sucked. But I was still okay. Obviously, okay enough to be in bands. Lars is definitely not the reason I wanted to play drums, but he is the reason I wanted Thomas. Because I loved Lars so much. Like, he was one of my favorite drummers. And uh, even though he wasn't the reason I played, he was one of my favorite drummers. I was like, oh, man, I love Lars. I love David Barter. <laughs> Billy Cobham, who is in my top three favorite drummers, also plays Thomas. So I'm like, ah! Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it, you know, I've, after 18 years, I'm playing drums again. And it's it's very, very strange. And so obviously, you know, even then, I was I could not play like Billy Cobham, could not play like Sheila E. I could not play like Felix Griffin, who's who was a drummer in DRI, one of my favorite hardcore thrash bands of all time. Like I could not play that that well. <laughs> but um it, it it is interesting how playing drums again after 18 years, Lars has been a really huge inspiration to me for getting back to playing drums and when i was regularly playing drums i wasn't really playing any metallica songs <laughs> now right. with uh-huh. one leg i'm like i'm gonna just practice metallica songs so it's really really interesting <laughs> of comparing Lars to other drummers so Neil Peart of Rush or uh, Mike Portnoy of Three Dream Theater and Lars is not in love and I think that's okay Lars is Lars and we love Lars Lars is Lars from Metallica and I think we need to be okay with that we yeah. need to be okay with that we need to stop the hate <laughs> and the thing okay my thing is people need to watch the the rehearsal sessions for St. Anger, because that dude put in work. That he that just showed you how dope of a drummer he is. Dude put in work. That is some of his best drumming. Right. So people need to stop sleeping on Lars. I know, but watch the rehearsals of St. Anger and tell me that he wasn't putting in work. Stop, stop playing. Just, just go watch that after you listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean he didn't have like he did get some lessons but he's not as trained and so I think for somebody who's not trained and who's not technical it's just like come on you know so I I appreciate Lars 
I, you know, and again, like coming back into it, I really have an, he is an inspiration to me. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, I am so basic, like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so also, you know, my, my right leg, which is obviously my dominant leg, and it's the leg that's normally used for um, the kick, kick drum, but I have to use my left. And so that's really hard. Uh, so yeah. the people, the people who I was inspired by at the time, even though I'm like Lars, but the people I was inspired by the most were, were uh, Hugo Burnham of Gang of Four, David Lovering of the Pixies, and Robert Gray of Wire, as well as John Wright of No Means No. So that's the type of drumming that I did. It definitely wasn't a Mike Portnoy. It wasn't even a Lars. It wasn't a, a Dave Lombardi. It wasn't any of that. But it was what I could do at the time because, again, I didn't have access to drums a lot. <laughs> so I listened to all those bands, and then I took that in. I played drums on whatever I could play and then translated that onto the drums. But now I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm still a basic-ass drummer, but I'm going to try Metallica. I'm, I'm going to see what happens. And I kept practicing Blackened. And, again, I don't have a double bass. I am not an advanced drummer at all, but the fact that I got the time to blacken, right. I'm with that. You got the time to blacken. Yeah, so I'm like, and people who are way better than me, way advanced, are like, the timing is really weird on this. And so, you know, I feel like I accomplished something. Obviously, I'm not perfect at drumming. Again, I'm so basic, but the fact that, you know, I can practice almost every day and get the timing to it it's just i'm so happy and the the first time i got it and didn't mess up i was like ah! <laughs> so, i'm so happy so lars yeah. we love lars leave lars i'm gonna do it what's that leave britney alone. i'm gonna leave lars alone i'm gonna leave metallica alone um <laughs> 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 but yeah even with the like the thing that lars does and i don't know maybe a lot of his drumming uh, sometimes seems to come out of like quote unquote mistakes or as Bob Ross says, happy accidents. So, you know, I feel like the cymbal hits when he hits uh, the crash on uh, the second measure, I feel like maybe that came out of something, but that's a large staple. And that is how I listen to music now. And I'm playing drums, even that's how I play drums now. So it's right. so weird because, you know, a lot of people hit on the first. Lars is usually on the second it's great and then just the, the 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 time shifts and on the first and third and that kind of stuff i think it's lars is great man i mean no is he the greatest drummer of all time no but lars is great and i don't care what everybody says we love lars we love, we lars. love lars and we love, we love the fact that he's not always on time that's what makes him funky but he is always on time <laughs> he may be late in behind he the be late but he always on time <laughs> So, next, Kirk Lee Hammett. You know how I feel about some okay. Kirk. So, I just, I want to give love to Kirk. Oh, my goodness. So, as I said, when I was, like, 14, 15, I was like, Kirk, I love Kirk. Like, he was just so shy. Like, that's, I just saw him as shy and a big nerd. And, and he was also silly. And that's me. And so, I just, I'm like, Kirk. Um, so again, like Lars, like Lars was not my favorite drummer of all time, and Kirk Hammett is not my favorite guitarist of all time because the the guitarists I like are more 
uh, this is really bad to say because Kirk does play a ton of blue scale. So I guess I, I, I do need to backtrack on that. But my favorite guitars are like blues players or very percussive players. And so Gilberto Gil is my favorite guitarist of all time. And he's not really a blues player, but um, like he plays like Tropicalia kind of stuff. And, you know, he's from Brazil and he's my favorite guitarist of all time. I don't hear anybody really mention him as being in the pantheon of great guitars. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if I'm alone. I love Gilberto Gil. <laughs> I love Tongai Moyo. He's from Zimbabwe. He is one of my favorite guitarists of all times. Junior Kimbrough, Lead Belly. That's the kind of guitar playing I love. However, I think Kirk Hammond is amazing. I am not, like, again, I just named some of my favorite guitars. None of those people are shredders. So as much as I think Eddie Van Halen is great or, you know, I, I just, um, John Petrucci, all the Slash, like, all those people are great. But I'm not, like, if, if I'm like, oh, my list of favorite guitarists, they're usually not shredders. So... Kirk Hammond is more of a shredder, but at the same time, he has those blue scales, which are amazing. And they're all over Lode. And that's probably, honestly, why Lode is among, so, I, I just gave it away because we we're talking about that. But right. Lode is among, like, literally in my top favorite albums, probably because of that. Like, if we're talking just strictly music. And I, I love, like, oh, love to Kirk. So, um, and I, people sleep on Kirk. I was just like, hey, he messes up his solos. People focus so much on the negative, but I really want to focus on the positive. Absolutely. And like we listen to like Fade to Black, the, the the intro and the outro. I feel like they perfectly echo the despair of the lyrics. Like if you know, like Fade to Black, like, people love that song. Like you can't tell me that Kirk's solos did not. Just, uh, just fit the the emotion of that song, and just the Unforgiven is literally my favorite solo in all of Metallica. Who did that? Kirk Hammett, Kirk Lee Hammett did that solo. And yes, it was due to uh, some kind of battle he had with Bob Rock, but Bob Rock brought so much out of him, and he created the greatest solo in all of Metallica. I don't care what anybody says. Unforgiven, greatest <laughs> solo in all of Metallica. And there's some great solos. The Absolutely. solo Damage Inc. is one of my favorite solos. But the Unforgiven is like like Blacken, like the solos that came out, my favorite so but Unforgiven is my top favorite solo. Uh, so, um, and you know, Fade to Black and Unforgiven are really hard for me to listen to for reasons, but they are among my favorite in the catalog. So, you know, I just, Kirk Hammett is great, man. <laughs> oh, dude is amazing. And so, yeah, pe people talk about, oh, he's so limited as guitarist or whatever. But, again, like with Lars, I feel like that works in Metallica. Like, I don't – like, if Metallica started getting really technical, I don't know if I would enjoy them that much. It's Because they're not the technical band, and I don't think they need to be. So I, I feel like the limitations, quote-unquote, you want to call that, actually works for Metallica. Um, right. And, and so – I, I, I love that he's not a machine. I think it's okay that he does make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes or happy accidents. I love that he does improvise his solos live. I, I love that. Like, I don't think he needs to play the exact same riffs as the record. Like, I would just get bored with yeah. that. 
And I'm Me sure too. he would get bored with that if it was just the same exact. Yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, he got it. He got the solo. Get, but I don't want to hear that every time. I, I just don't. Um, <laughs> so, and, and again, if John Petrucci is unnamed, if Slash, Steve Vai, any other technical guitarist were to be in Metallica, it would not work. So we need to leave Kirk alone. The fact, dude wrote so many amazing riffs. He wrote, oh, yeah. So, and I, so the other thing before I get into the riffs, people praise James Hetfield and the downpicking, which I think that they should. He is amazing on downpicking. But people sleep on Kirk's downpicking. Like, in order to keep up with James, you got to be downpicking too. And people don't pay attention to that. So I'm like, I'm giving love to Kirk for the downpicking. I told you, I'm right. Uh, this is a novel. So if you right. need to shut up, just just jump no, in. I'm gonna interject. <laughs> <laughs> but like, <laughs> but the dude wrote so many riffs. Like he is not a slouch on downpicking. He is not a slouch with writing riffs. So yeah, everybody and their mama know about creeping death. And the opening with people, like people know he wrote those. Everybody's like, ah, you know, die, die, die. So everybody knows that Kirk wrote those, but. People don't talk about his riffs on other songs. Like people don't talk about the pre-solo riff of Battery. And that, that, that the solo is amazing. People don't talk about the pre pre-solo riff. People don't talk about the pre-chorus of Master of Puppets. People don't talk about the solo riff in My Apocalypse. Like people don't people don't talk about that stuff. People don't talk about the intro riff of Hero of the Day, which is one of the most beautiful Metallica songs ever. People don't talk about that. People don't talk about the bridge riff of Damage Incorporated. People don't talk about the pre-chorus and the end of Disposable Heroes, which is my favorite song on Master of Puppets, by the way. People don't talk about the verse riff of Trapped Under Ice, which is amazing. A slept on song in some levels. Uh, People don't talk about the main riffs of King Nothing and 2x4. People don't talk about Kirk's dope riffs. Stop sleeping on Kirk Lee Hammett. I'm stop stop playing with that. Mm-hmm. Just, so, okay, so next we're gonna get the basis. <laughs> Cause everyone's like, ah, there's basis. I love them all. I don't care. I'm giving love to all of them. So I I, I I'm not into who's best. Like it's just no. Cause I feel like they all have qualities uh that are positive that have contributed positively to the metallic experience. So mm-hmm. Cliff Burton, of course, was the catalyst for them switching up their sound, if you will. <laughs> And expanding their sound, which is, I, I think, why they haven't stayed strictly a thrash band. So uh, if Cliff wasn't there, would they have still been a thrash I don't know. I mean, they might not have been. But I feel like it's funny because the most hardcore folks are like, Cliff, Cliff is the best. Cliff, you can't, like, the Metallica died with Cliff, da, 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 all of this. But he's the one who expanded their sound. He's the one who put, inspired the classical elements of Metallica. The beginning of Fight Fire with Fire with Cliff. Mm. So is Cliff the reason Metallica sold out on the second album? I just I just have that question. But it was like Cliff, 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 but but he he's the one who put those elements. <laughs> it wasn't the rest of the band. So I, I'm just I'm curious. Like Orion, like all of the classical elements, like just a, a little bit of the expansion was Cliff Burton. And I, I just I think that is amazing that 
he was the one to inspire their musical growth and to to do what it is they do today. And I feel like that the spirit of Cliff Burton is still there. It's still alive in them in a, on a spiritual level. Uh, and so even in one of the last interviews, he alluded to the fact that they're not always going to play fast songs. So again, my question is to the most hardcore fans who are like, Cliff, Cliff is the best and nothing comes after Cliff. Is it Cliff's fault they sold out? <laughs> so, I mean, he loved, he loved Stanley Clark. Stanley Clark's great. Geezer Butler's great. He loved Geezer Butler. Like, he loved the Misfits. He loved Bach. Bach was his dude. He loved R.E.M. So he had somewhat diverse range of inspirations that helped his playing. And at the same time, he had a punk sensibility. So, it, so I feel like the, the diversity he had did help in his playing. It wasn't all like traditional punk, but it did, again, have that element. So I, I also feel like because he was the oldest of the band, he he had this element which was cool. It, it, it balanced everybody out. Everybody was like, ah, he was just like, whatever, I'm going to chill over here, smoke some weed or something. You know? <laughs> but, but yeah, it was just, I feel like he bought that element which really uh, helped them and brought them to the place they are today. Jason, 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 Jason. See, Jason was, I guess, technically when I came to know Metallica. So Jason came on in 87, but uh, I get the first, I should say the first album, Garage Days, was the first. Um, people don't really include that. Everyone says Justice, but, but Garage Days was the first recording that Jason was on. And he was hired like a, a number of weeks after Cliff's passing. So it was just kind of a whirlwind. And then he was on tour right away. And so he was a fan. He was a fit. Metallica was like his favorite band. And he ended up joining his favorite band. But he's also an example of never meet your heroes. <laughs> your heroes let you down. And he brought such an excellent element where he brought the beefiness of the bass. Whereas Cliff brought the punk element, J Jason brought the metal element and the beefy. If you listen to like uh, uh, the, the bass, uh, you know, My Friend of Misery is one of the songs he wrote. And Where the Wild Things Are, like he co-wrote that. And then, you know, um, just the, the bass on like Devil's Dance, like just what you hear on King Nothing, just so much he brought to the table with that and you cannot take that for granted and he was the one he was he had that element the head nod element and I'm like I don't think people talk about that with Metallica like there was there's that head nod element with Metallica and, and Jason really did bring that and I I think because you know he grew up on funk as well as rock I think he brought those elements to Metallica and um, so, yeah, yeah, Black Album, Load, Reload, just full of those head nodding elements. And so the, the big, God, that failed. It's like that bass. That was literally, I think, probably the first thing I noticed. Like, yeah, I listened to that album straight through. But when God, that failed came on, I was like, yo, yo. Literally, I think when that, I literally was like, yo, when that came on, I was like, what is this bass? So, because the rest of it's like, dun, 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 and he's like, dun, dun, dun. I was like, okay, you got me, you got me. So, so that's Jason. Jason did that. 
And I, if he didn't do anything else in Metallica, he he wrote the main riff to Black It. Black It is my favorite Metallica song of all time. He wrote Black It. If he did not, I'm just like, he's so good if he did nothing else. So, um, and he also, on a few occasions, saved James vocally. So um, when he's gotten injured or his equipment went out, Jason just came in and did vocals. And his growl, again, if you listen to any uh, live performances, look at live footage, when Jason was there, he's like, whoa, like, like it just comes through the whole place. Is it Jason? Jason is amazing. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, man. So, and then also, like, if you listen to his background vocals on songs like Hero of the Day, just, he really, it, it just complements James Hetfield's vocals really well. Like, I think, you know, he has that growl, but then he also has the vocals that complement James. So, uh, we love Jason. We love Jason. Uh, he is he is definitely representative of the fan base, and so the fan base will forever be like Jason. And now we have love for Roberto Agustin, Miguel Santiago, Samuel Trujillo, Veracruz, Kazoo. So we have love for Robert Trujillo. I think when I heard that he had joined Metallica, I was like, Yo, that dope dude from Suicidal Tendencies. Infectious group. Yay, John Metallica. So, um, and that was around the time, of course, the St. Anger. I, I just thought that was dope. And just, you know, looking at, you know, he's been in the band longer than every other bass player combined. So I think the fact that people are still like, oh, you know, whatever. I just like, get over it. Get over it. He brings an element that is extremely balanced to that band. And I think the fact that he came on at a time when the band was going through probably its most tumultuous period and sticking that through, I think that says a lot about his character. I think he's sort of the bookend uh, with him and Kirk. They're sort of like, now it's like a, an actual balance. So you have the two sort of uh, uh, like critical alphas. I hate that, but like just for all intents and purposes. And then you have you know, Kirk and Rob, I think it balances itself out really well. I think that uh, just the clean tones of Rob's bass are excellent. Another thing, like, he writes some dope riffs as well. So he, he did Suicide and Redemption, Data Never Comes, Man Unkind, like, just some dope riffs that he just came in and was like, hey, I have some stuff, you know, whatever. And, and and even um, all nightmare long, so he was playing like flamenco guitar, and they're like, "Ah, oh, that's cool. We can use that or whatever." And the demo version of on on nightmare long was called flamingo, flamingo, but that was a take on the flamenco. And I just I, I also feel like he's so respectful to the legacies of of Cliff and Jason. Like you gotta you gotta give him some love. I feel like every single element. Was just, just again so positive to the experience of Metallica. I think Rob is also really like he's so musically proficient, probably the most technical band member of Metallica, and he's able to really fit in any situation. And that is probably some something they they need. But I, I think again, like he's able to just just fit in, and I, I think it works for them. And of course, uh, Rob and Kirk have the wedding band and they are 
uh, actually after the first uh, MTF show, they're playing at the Fillmore. <laughs> and so, of course, everybody and their mom is going to that. I'm not going to that. I can't. I'm in a wheelchair. I can't. I can't do all that. That's too much. The Fillmore is an hour away from the Chase Center. Can't do it. Um, and so finally, you're going to get to James Allen Headfield, a.k.a. Papa Head. <laughs> to me, James Headfield is liver proof that everything's dialectical, positive and negatives to everything. And I, I want to initially talk about the Metallica stuff because I hope people talk about it, but at the same time, people sleep on his vocals. Like to me, he is one of the greatest vocalists of rock and metal. I don't care what anybody says. I love all eras of the vocals from Kill 'em All to now. I, I just, I love it. I love it. I, I even appreciate, you know, after he threw out his vocals and he was trying to figure it all out vocally, I really appreciate how he worked around it. And people are like, oh, he's not growling anymore. But he literally, like, he literally damaged his vocals. So he has to do what he has to do. And I appreciate how he did it. I, I really, I, I don't think any era is like bad. <laughs> and I know that he was just like, oh, I like my vocals in the early days, but I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the 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 youthful energy, the anger. I appreciate all of that. Like, would that work now? Of course not. He's in a different place in his life. Um, so, <laughs> but at the same time, like how he sings those songs now, I appreciate how he how he sings them now, because you know he's approaches sixty years old. It's like six years of his life, the whole bunch of experiences that bring him to where he is now. And I love that the voice he has now, it lends to a wisdom, maturity and vulnerability. I love it. And it's it's just so powerful to me. And he has that that the the tattoo on his fingers. Riff life dude knows how to throw down some riffs like he's dope on the wrist. Talk about Kirk. James is also dope on the wrists. <laughs> and, you know, again, the riffs are singable. So it, I, I just, I love it. I love it. And it's just too many riffs. I, I'm not even going to name them all. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to bring up was his rhythm playing. Because if you listen to um, the the rhythm playing behind his vocals and and how they create, again, they're singable. So you can sing them as a harmony uh, to his own vocals. And then just, uh, you know, paying attention to the riffs that he plays besides Kirk's solos. I just, I love them. I just, oh, and I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't see him, but I, I don't feel like they get enough love. Like the, the, the riffs that he plays besides the solos. My goodness. <laughs> so I think again, I, I feel like that's an aspect of that, them not being the most technical bands, the singable riffs. Like they're not, like it's just even with justice which is their most technical album the riffs are still singable like they just can't get away from that i love it i love it and the down picking so it's inspired by people like johnny ramone and i, I just ugh. like that dude i don't know how he does it how can you down pick fight fire with fire and battery like how can you do that today like i just I don't know what kind of exercise he gets on his wrist. I, I have no idea. But that that dude, like, I cannot. I cannot with him. Like, I just love watching his down picking. And again, like, you can't sleep on Kirk's down picking either. I just I just want to repeat that. I, I have a question before I go on. Because one of the things that I love about James Hetfield, and you know that, is his pen game. I, I think everybody's just like, Drew, his pen game. But I want to ask you, Jesse, like, what... 
I know I asked about like what the songs were for you that hit when you said I get it. But in terms of the pen game, what are some things you love about James's pen game? I mean, I'm thinking of my song, so I, I could mention King Nothing. What's significant about that? Where's your crown, King Nothing? It's like, I, I feel like he's just like posing or even a song like The House That Jack Built. The way he's able to mention, you know, serious topics, you know, because I, I remember you told me, I mean, the house that Jack built is about Jack Daniels. And when I found that out, it's like, wow, that's that's penmanship because he goes into the different situations of the effects of what that is, you know, alcoholism. Um, but I just have realized listening to his music, like, it's like listening to a story Sometimes it is a story in itself, or it could just be like I'm thinking of Through the Never, you know, a song like Through the Never or The Struggle Within. The the titles themselves sound like a concept, like they sound like something you want to listen to and understand further. And I just appreciate, again, poetry that can come through, especially if you can just maintain that level throughout your music. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty impressed by that. What do you think? That house to Jack, I guess it's not house that Jack, the house Jack built. <laughs> what do you think that was about? I had no clue. I, I guess I just was thinking it was like um, a story about like an actual person that was doing all of that kind of destruction. But I had no idea it was like a representation for that, the actual addiction or, or in general how it is to be, you know, on Jack Daniels. It just sounded good. But then I'm realizing most of the music that, you know, I've listened to from Metallica, from like, Am I Savage? <laughs> Something like that. Um, it's just like, it's just very interesting how they take these topics of pain and, of course, you know, passing death, death, you know, and all of those, all of those topics that are quite gruesome but they managed to tell a story through within it all it's not not like it's not just profane or uh gory for the sake of being gory it has a a purpose behind it and i think um in terms of being about jack daniels itself i mean i i think the song's journey about the dealing with alcoholism or dependency on alcohol and how's jack build given that it's a phrase that people use, I think is definitely relative. Um, and then, you know, just looking at the description of the experience of the character in the song, uh, I think I think it fits very well. So while it may or may not be Jack, it, it could be, you know, any sort of addiction. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think one of the best well-written songs for sure. It's it's up there in the pantheon of master puppets, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I honestly am not a fan of songs that promote vagueness. I I like specificity in lyrics. However, I think how James Hetfield does it, the songs. You know, they lend themselves on occasion to vagueness, but they're relatable enough. And I think that's why they work. And uh, I think 
they're able to be vague because the themes are so consistent. We'll get to that. <laughs> but I think a song like Fade to Black, the song was about how their equipment was stolen. If yeah. you didn't know that, you wouldn't know the song was about stolen equipment. Right. But yet, so many people can relate to it, including myself. But the, the, the fact I have lost the will to live because someone stole my equipment. It's possible, you know, that equipment. Hey, they didn't have a lot of equipment at the time. Remember, it was 1983, 1984. So, you know, they, they didn't have that much money. <laughs> so, I mean, that equipment meant a lot to them. And they didn't po- possibly know how they would get more. And the band Anthrax lent them some equipment while they were doing shows. So uh, definitely grateful to them for that. But, yeah, just this. You know, it could have been like there's a Black Flag song. Uh, you know, we have something personal against you. And so it's just like you oh. could write a song like that. You know, you, you stole our equipment and we're coming for you. Like Metallica could have wrote that and that could have been a continuation of Kill Em All. But I think probably, I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways, James Hetfield channeled a lot of the pain he felt dealing with his mother passing at such a young age. I think a lot of that was channeled through a lot of these songs and, you know, with the stolen equipment, you know, his mother getting him um, some of the equipment. I I feel like a lot of that was channeled and making a song like that and translating so many years to so many people who may not have had equipment stolen, but they've had the same exact feelings uh, that the song entailed. So I, I just, I love that. It's like, stolen equipment. Oh man, I like you. But, but listen to that song. So, uh, and I, I feel like, you know, it, it seems to be like, you know, maybe when they were younger, they didn't necessarily understand the impact their songs would have. So, you know, maybe, you know, they're writing a song about stolen equipment or maybe a song about one, like, you know, somebody who's dealing with the effects of militarism is like, we just, you know, saw the movie and wrote a book or whatever. Da, da, da. Yeah, they're like, we're just writing songs, but they've made so much emotional impact for people. And I feel like just from my vantage point, that didn't necessarily register to them until they got much older. When, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that's true again, but. I'm just saying from my vantage point, that's what it seems like, how they deliver the songs. So, yeah, and I, I feel like they, because the songs also span generations, like people are taking their kids to see Metallica. And sometimes, you know, they're on stage, they're saying people cry. So they're like, oh, okay, I definitely understand how uh, much impact our song has versus when we were 25 and just going, nah. <laughs> right, exactly. The meaning starts to really make its meaning after a while. I mean, right. for sure. That's what I'm saying, because earlier, their, their earlier stuff, it was a lot of that, and it's like, okay, I don't mind listening to that, but I want to really listen to what they're saying. Like, what is, what's, what's actually really being said? And there's a lot of songs about death and pain and um, isolation, you know, war. So yeah, I mean, to manage to talk about those t- kind of topics in a way like they, like they do, hats off. James Hatfield, yeah, he was an amazing writer. Love for Pop the Hat over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little into the personal stuff because I feel like, again, going to where my life is now, it's so weird. 
So, uh, like, James Allen Hetfield, a.k.a. Papa Het, he, 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 he's such the opposite of me in so many ways, whether it's politically, whether, you know, me being a, a, a lifelong vegan, him very much not being one. He's just like, I need meat. <laughs> it's so different. And, you know, there's other ways there are differences. But I feel like especially and particularly since this accident happened, and me rethinking how this band has shaped my life in so many ways, how I've come to see James James Hetfield has shifted a little bit. And I feel like, like I'm feeling so much more compassion for him. Like, no, I don't personally know him, but I feel like our journeys in some ways uh, have been similar, which is why I can relate to the lyrics. And just on a level, like both of us have been through some a lot of accidents. <laughs> yeah. I've been through several accidents in my life. One obviously like changing me physically the most, but there's uh, times where I've I've also had physical changes because of accidents. And he's been through the fire literally, like he literally had his skin burnt off. So oh, okay. uh, 1992. So so yeah, like I relate to him on that level as well in healing from that. Like if I ever were to meet him, I would ask him about the process of, I, 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 my guess is that he did get skin graft. So I would ask him about that, like what that felt like and you know how long it took him to heal. Cause I think he healed, he heals from all that stuff pretty fast. But yeah, I'm just interested in that kind of stuff. And then obviously over that skin graft, like he has tattoos. So how long, you know, did his skin have to fully heal? Um, I mean, he got tattoos in his late 30s, so he went from zero to 100. <laughs> I don't advise that for anybody, but I appreciate it because I love when people are covered. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just wondering about all that, like his process of, you know, dealing with that pain and having to get skin grafted and stuff or like how much, if any, and you know, how long, is it? like, I'm just interested in that process because he had a lot of not only emotional healing, but physical healing to do. So there are similarities on, on that level uh, with us. But I just feel like, again, coming full circle in this journey, I just like understanding his his journey and dealing with uh, addiction and having to go back to rehab in 2019 and coming out of that. And, and it's just, you know, I just feel so much compassion for him. Um, because because just the journey that he he has been so very open about and he doesn't have to be but yeah I just might my heart you know just yeah just just seeing him come out of all that and surviving I think is is very inspirational to me and so yeah it's just there is there is just that side of me that connects with him in terms of living through traumas coming out of those traumas and I know Kirk on some level has spoken about the traumas that happened to him in childhood, the abuse and all that kind of stuff and some of his experiences in life. But I don't think he's been as open about those experiences as James has. So, you know, I can't speak too much about what happened to Kirk outside of a couple of things, but I think James has, you know, been a lot more open to talking about his family situation, his addictions, like other issues that he's had to you know write about some of that stuff in his music where where many people can relate to that to just again um being like 
hey, you know, like I have to go back to rehab and just really being open about that. And and the fact that most people were understanding, there were a few people, ah, what's wrong with you? But, you know, for the most part, people were very um, understanding and loving. And I think that's really cool. And, um, you know, just, uh, yeah. And, and I think the thing with the mother, the thing, I, I feel like that's the thing I connect with the most is the, the mother issue. I think we both can relate to that. <laughs> dear mother, dear father. Ah. I I feel like yeah him trying to heal from a lot of that stuff and working through that sometimes publicly that's got to be really hard um because like he is he is a private person as as is Kirk very private people and so to to be like boom okay what about this thing it's just so I think him being very um, open and upfront about it is uh, is probably a very smart thing to do, so people don't speculate. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just me growing up in an abusive environment as a child, growing up with an alcoholic mother, eventually um, entering abusive partnerships, uh, having people in my life who, you know, I thought were supportive and. And then being like, well, okay, whatever, you know, just I can relate to that on so many levels. And so I do appreciate a lot of that. And and so especially with, you know, songs like Dyer's Eve, you talk about and the Unforgiven trio, just that's, oh, my goodness. So for me, the Unforgiven and, and then I'm curious about what all that means for you. But for, for me, the Unforgiven. So the first part is like. You know, coming from an abusive situation as a child, and and you know, obviously on some level, James is discussing what that means for him, but we don't know everything. Like none of us, most of us, don't really know him personally, so uh, we can only interpret for ourselves what that means. But for me, how I interpret it for my own life is, you know, growing up in an abusive environment and then withdrawing, and so and says, um, uh never be, never see, won't see what might have been. It's like, you know, I had so much potential and now I'm not going to show that because I just feel like I can't. Because if I do, I'll just get beaten down as a child. For a child to feel that way, that just says so much to just to just not feel like you're able to show your potential. And so not being able to show your potential and having that resentment for the people who uh, did not allow you to have that potential. That says so much. That song is just so, ugh. And then Unforgiven too. I mean, if you listen closely, I, I feel like that's some like Tom Waits kind of stuff, Nick Cave kind of stuff. But reading into it, one interpretation is dude kills his partner. I mean, like for all intents and purposes, he kills his partner and you know, so, uh, dead sure she'll be there like he he sort of gives lyrical clues and then it says uh uh the uh, um you know um talks about how her eyes are closed and and now i see the sun it's just like okay you're not bothering me anymore you're gone so now you know like i thought i was i would be able to trust you but clearly you have not shown me so now you are gone as well and now i have to go on to this journey and finding someone else uh who's uh, not unforgiven, but in my, uh, my situation is just sort of, I look at that as, as experiencing abusive relationships 
and finding the space in myself to end that relationship. And so really being like, okay, the sun has set on this relationship and I can finally see the sun. And that that's how I see it. Obviously, it's an individual situation in the song. But for me, I look at it as a relationship uh, that's abusive and finding I don't want to use the word courage, but like finding it in myself to be like, okay, there's a point where I can't do this anymore. And like, I will not let you abuse me anymore. And then the Unforgiven Three is sort of, you know, finding, you know, uh, set sail to sea, but pulled off course by the light of golden treasure. So to me, that also is another relationship. And, you know, entering relationships. So I've been a person that was just like, I'm not going to tell anybody how I feel because I always end up getting rejected. So childhood rejection, teenager, like everything's just rejection. So again, you withdraw and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to let anybody see how I feel. But then you meet somebody and, you know, it's like, oh, finally, here's this person who you know, wow, uh, okay, I'm going to try this out or whatever. And it's great. And then it, and then the blow, the blow comes. And so that's just how I feel about the, the third Unforgiven, where it's just like, was he the one causing pain with this careless dreaming? And it's just like, okay, so here's this relationship, all the lights and everything, but it's just like, okay, is that really what it is? Is that, it's that gold, if you will, that's sort of keeping you off the pace of your path. And then, uh, you know, so it's just like, okay, here, here's another thing where being with the, this this person, it's like, okay, so I, I'm part of, of my journey where I've come to love myself. And so this relationship eventually ending, now it's like, okay, can I forgive myself? Like, am I still this person who's still withdrawn? And, you know, so it's like, that's the other test. So I feel like that's what the third unforgiven is about. For me and my experiences, I feel like they're all about relationships and forgiving yourself and not blaming yourself, but also working on yourself and and not 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 holding on to the past where it grips you where you can't move on. And I feel like all three of those songs are just amazing songwriting. And I think when people look at Metallica songs, they just kind of look musically, but it's just like, well, this riff and that, but it's just like, yeah, yeah. A lot of people obviously look at the songwriting as well, but I feel like all of those elements go together. Yeah. I, I just, I love all three of those songs for many reasons. So uh, Unforgiven for you, the trio, what do those songs mean? Which one's your favorite? Oh, which, my favorite. Oh, which one is my favorite? Oh boy. Yeah. Oh, Wow. Hmm. I have to get back to you on that one. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I love them all equally. Oh, what's yours? I was, it's a cross between the third and the first one. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the second one, I think why I love them all equally is because of the significance they hold for me. But the second one is definitely more of a murder ballad kind of song. And it, seems a little less personal so i could uh, see why one and three would be your favorites yeah that's that makes sense <laughs> exactly 
somewhere in the ballot. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. It's, um, I mean, but I like that there are three versions. I like that it's just like this theme throughout the, you know, it's like a concept through parts. Mm-hmm. Good. But the, the first two, they have the similar uh, theme where the, uh, like the notes at the beginning. And then, of course, the second one's a play on the first one musically. And then the third one's totally different. Right. <laughs> People are like, what? What? Why didn't they just do the, uh, the third one? <laughs> it's also just if you look at Death Magnetic, it's one of those songs that just thematically just comes out of nowhere. I love it. I love it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's like, wait a what? This, this changed the whole mood up. All right. Whoa. No prep. <laughs> just no. <laughs> I love it so much. I love I I love Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, ooh yeah, that's my favorite one. Ooh yeah, that is my favorite one. Uh, yeah, that's the one. Out of all the years, ooh yeah. <laughs> I think just for. Oh man, again, songs like Fade to Black is just like, it hits, it it hits just my experience of, you know, again, trigger warning, just me having suicidal ideation, um, you know, ending, making attempts to end my life on several times, um, you know, calling the hotline, all that kind of stuff, Day That Never Comes, Fade to Black, those songs just really hit differently. And, you know, in terms of using food, it's not something I really have talked about a lot, but food is something that I've used to hide behind in terms of in addiction. It was like the one thing I could control because I felt so horrible about myself. And so a song like Master of Puppets, I could relate to that songs like that speak to me. All the songs about addiction speak to me. And so one of the things that when I was in the hospital, um, having me given morphine and all these other opiates, I really hoped that I wouldn't be addicted to them. And I really yeah. made that a goal not to be because I understand how addictive they are. And I understand how addiction runs in my family. So I really made a concerted effort to just be very open to the medical staff. Like, no, my goal is to not be on these drugs. And they were very encouraging because I know uh, not everyone's so encouraging. People want you to stay on drugs because that's how these companies make money. But I uh, and, you know, just the amount of people, uh, including Prince and Michael, who have been on painkillers. I know Jason Newstead had a painkiller addiction because of his accidents. So I just really that's something that really did worry me when I was in the hospital, you know, having to be given morphine and just it didn't feel good at all. And I think the thing that really helped me was that it didn't help me with the pain. Like, no matter how many drugs they gave me, it still hurts. So I'm like, D- why take these if it's going to still hurt? And, yeah, I think that's what really it's just like, yeah. Now, on the other hand, if I didn't feel any pain <laughs> by taking these drugs, I probably, you know, would still be on them. So I don't know. But I, I really did. I made it a goal, a personal goal to uh, eventually stop taking all those drugs. And I, yeah, I, I did not get an addiction to them. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. But in terms of food, 
Yeah, um, that is something that I did use as a means of control because I had a horrible low self-esteem and I hid behind food. And and the one thing that did help me, you know, if we want to talk about therapy, uh, one thing that did help me was intermittent fasting. So it was just like, okay, well, you have this window, which for me is 12 to 8. So it's a 16, 8, 16 slash 8. It's just like, you're going to eat food in a way that's healthy. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to starve yourself and you're not going to gorge on food. You're going to eat in a way that's healthy. So I would do both. Like I would, speak of Metallica reference, binge and purge. Like I would actually like, like I wouldn't necessarily purge, but yeah, like there's times I wouldn't eat because it's like, oh, I just, you know, like I wanted to be, uh, you know, uh, fortunately it wasn't anorexia, but there are times it's like, I don't really care. Like, I just don't want to eat. Um, and then times I would just eat and eat because I just hid behind food. So again, like food as a means of control is uh, a, a huge thing. And so when I made the decision to do intermittent fasting about five years ago, that really helped me to have a healthier relationship with food. And to to look at it as something like, okay, <laughs> like like you're eating food for sustenance, you're eating, you know, it's like like that's a way you can control as well, but it's not in an unhealthy way. So that has helped me. Uh so yeah, I, I understand from an addiction level about what all that means and how um things like food can control your life and you hide behind it. So I, I just yeah, all, all those kind of songs speak to me. And of course, you know, the, the songs of say anger, just the need to uh, the need to control in that way as well, where you, you know, as James Hetfield talked about, you love someone or something so much that you strangle it or them. I, I can identify with that. I can relate to that. So uh, I, I am I am a huge defender of say anger. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I relate to that album. It's Even so if it sounds like it was in the trash can. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care about that. <laughs> I still like it too. And yeah, I remember I, you told I, me before listening to the album, you was like, oh, I can't wait to know what you think about it because there are no guitar solos. Right. But I actually really dig it. It has a very like crisp industrial sound. I heard Frantic today. Again, of course, all within my hands. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, I dig this. I dig, I mean... The direction was obviously left field for them, and that's kind of why I like it too. Like they're like, "Yo, we doing it." So I mean, if you don't like it, then <laughs> too bad. <laughs> too bad for you. We're gonna put it out anyway. <laughs> right. I love it. And of course, the song that really hits me in so many ways, as you know, Mama said. Obviously, with James Hetfield, his mother passed at the age of sixteen. Well. She was a 16. He was 16. She had cancer. She was a Christian scientist, chose not to get uh, any medical care because that went against her beliefs. So, of course, he was very resentful about that. He couldn't even go to health class as a young person because it's like, well, you're not supposed to know about your body, whatever. God will sort all of that out. And uh, I'm sure you can relate to some of that as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as a preacher's kid. but. Uh, but yeah, for me, again, the song hits differently in terms of the relationship with my mother. My mother is still alive, but the the fact that 
I had to let go of of the fact that she doesn't have the capacity to love me in the ways that I want. It's something yeah, I really right, have to right, work yeah, on letting yeah. go of. And it's really hard for me. And so with James Hetfield, there are a ton of unresolved issues having to do with his mother because she passed when he was so young. And so he was just kind of left out there. And then his father left at 13. And so there was just a, a, so much in his life that was unresolved. And that song just means so much to me in that he, you know, I know he was like, oh, like nothing else matters. He was like, I don't know if I should put it out. But the fact that, you know, he put out and, and Lars was like, you should put it out, man. Like, that's a friend, man. Friend for life, man. <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that he opened himself up and did a song like that and yeah, I just again, it means something different to me because I'm just alive. But when I see people writing comments like "Hold on to your mothers" and you know, <laughs> "Love your," I'm just like, okay. But what about situations of of folks like myself, uh, who you know, whose mothers really don't have the capacity to love? Right. <laughs> like they're just right. cold people, and and so when. The party says, I need your arms to welcome me, but a cold stone is all I see. I Tears. I just, I can't, like that whole, I took your love for granted, things you said to, like, tears. <laughs> and I, I just, you know, like, again, my mother is still physically here, and I love her so much. If anything were to happen to her, I don't know what would happen to me. I don't think I would be able to take that, but I have to, I have to be able to let go that she doesn't have the capacity to to love in the way that I need. And that's what that song means for me. And you know, people, oh, you know, I love, I love my, it's just like, my mother knows that I love her, but she can't love me back in the same way. And that hurts. I don't think people realize how much that hurt. Maybe some people do, but people who, who have positive relationships with their mothers, I don't think they understand how painful that song is on that level. Um, your mother doesn't have to leave this earth in order for that pain to exist. And, you know, my mother has, has yet to visit me. She has not visited me in the hospital. She hardly checks in with me during um, this period, just the most vulnerable periods. Like She got mad with me because I didn't tell her what happened. It's just like, I lost my phone. My phone died. So what was I supposed to do? Why didn't you tell? Like, I'm telling you now. It was like, are you okay? You know, that kind of stuff. Where it's like, I don't think people, again, who have positive relationships with their mothers or their parents understand how much pain could exist on this other end, even if your mother or parents are still here. And that's what Mama Said means to me. And it is one of my top five favorite Metallica songs. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, that's country. I don't care. I don't care. That song is excellent. Song is, and I like country music, so who cares about that? Like, it's country, so what? But that song is so incredibly vulnerable, so incredibly moving. And 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 the fact that Metallica did, that just, I don't know, that's part of that journey that I've had once again in dealing, again, with this part of my life. And listening to that song now versus when I was in my 20s, whole different, whole different element. 
So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you could talk about that song if you want. But, yeah, well. But, ugh, yeah. No, I was just wondering. Just wondering. Yeah. So yeah, that that's. I, I don't know. So that that's the love I have. I told you this is a novel. This means so much to me. I have so much love for an appreciation for old Talica. That's what I call them now. Old Talica. <laughs> I love that they are now in a place of healing and sobriety. That you know they're still struggling with stuff, but they're able to do it in a way that is mature. They're able to do it in a way where they're like, okay, I actually do need some help. Um, and I don't understand why people are like, oh, you know, give Lars some coke so he could drum how he used to. Like, what? What is that? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, <laughs> and so yeah, I love I love all their albums. Okay, I, but. They're at a different place in their lives now. If they were to make Kill 'Em All at the ages of 57, 58, 59, like that wouldn't make any sense. Come on now. <laughs> like, like they should not be making like album after album after album with Kill 'em All or Justice or any one album. It it I wouldn't listen to them if that was the case. So uh, and and the thing is, like, if they were to actually perish, it, if they were to leave this earth because of whatever addictions they had that they never dealt with, if they had any sort of destructive personalities and they would either break up because of it or physically lose this earth, you wouldn't have Metallica. So maybe that is what some people want, but no, like, I feel like they do have a lot creatively left in them. And, you know, even if they wanted to perform, like, you know, I, I, that's what they want to do. And, I don't think people should hinder that just because they're playing slower or because they're older or they're not doing Kill 'em All Part 20. That's not necessary. So I am totally appreciative of old Talica. I am so uh, grateful for this journey that I have taken with the band. No, I don't personally know them. Do I have to keep saying that? I don't know. But, but I am grateful for the journey that I have taken with them that's brought me to the place I am now. and. There are a lot of moments in life outside of Metallica that does the same thing, but this episode is about Metallica, so there it is. So I am going to uh, really defer this one to you. I do have a bunch of stuff, but the similarities between Prince and Metallica, you you definitely are right. an expert in that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are definitely similarities. Again, when one thinks of Prince... Even if you don't know a lot about Prince, it's like there's a lot there. Like there's a lot of uh, it's just a lot comes to mind. How he managed his career after a certain point, and with Metallica, they're huge too because they have all of these different. Throughout the years, they've changed, you know, their sound, and um, but yet they've remained consistent to what they want to do. They, they follow in what they follow in. And that's very much like Prince. When Prince decided to make, what is it, uh, Around the World in a Day right after Purple Rain. And further than that, you know, you look at Parade right after uh, Around the World in a Day. It's like those songs had a whole different theme, whole different message. And he knew that that was going to alienate a lot of his fans. But that was something he did on purpose because that was just what he wanted to do. And I think Metallica, I mean, outside of St. Anger, we have the Lulu record, <laughs> which, 
that's a record where I mean I did listen to that too. Can't say I liked it as much. But I'm happy they did it though, because yes. the poetry, you know, and and that's another thing that people was like, huh? What? What is this? You know? Because people are always thinking like and that, and they did it. So I mean mm-hmm. I I think that's dope. You know, <laughs> even if they don't do any songs from it. All right. I totally agree with you. Uh not including Lulu on the albums list, even though I disagree with people. That's not a Metallica album. It is a Metallica album. It has their name yeah, on it. We played exactly. on it. It is a Metallica right. album as well as a Lou Reed album. I wish people would stop that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think I am glad they did that album. Uh, I am not particularly into Lou Reed. I like a lot of his instrumental stuff he did later on. I think when he became, I think he's, he was a Buddhist. And so I yeah. like a lot of that stuff. I have never really been too much into Velvet Underground. I really like uh, Here Comes the Sun. Or Who Loves the Sun? Here Comes the Sun is the Beatles. Excuse me. Sorry, George Harrison. <laughs> uh, but who, who Loves the Sun? I really like that. Lou Reed's not singing on it, though. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I don't... I'm not particularly into Velvet Underground. Like, I did not... You know, Perfect Day, I think, you know, it's a pretty song. I'm just not, I'm not into a lot of the Lou Reed stuff. And then one thing I think was hilarious is metal machine music. So I was listening to a lot of like, industrial, quote unquote, music at the time. So you had, uh, uh, there was like Throbbing Gristle and there were bands like that. And there was uh, Cabaret Voltaire who kind of was like, sort of industrial that kind of stuff so i was listening to that stuff at one point and somebody's like you should listen to metal machine music this was years ago and i was like all right lou reed okay i love he was just like middle finger in the air to everybody and i feel like lulu was kind of like <laughs> mm-hmm. I, have you heard metal machine music no oh wow so not yet it's no no i don't I don't know if you can actually listen to it. It's literally nails on a chalkboard, the whole album. I'm ah, ah, no, no, are you kidding? It's literally... Ah, ah, no, I could not. It's I could the not. whole album. That is literally I the whole album. I could not flip over the side. I'm oh, not joking. Oh, oh. I love that Lou Reed did that. I I love that he did that. I, I love when people just, like, middle finger the air I I love it. And people are like, this is brilliant. I'm like, no, it's a horrible album. But I love that he did it. And so I don't think Lulu is horrible. I, I, I If Lou Reed was, I, uh, I don't know. I, again, I'm not into Lou Reed, really. However, Junior Dad, I, I love that song. And I feel like it's a very fitting way for Lou Reed to go out. Um, and uh, so the, the writings are based on a bunch of plays like the, the Lulu cycle, something like that. And so uh, so some of the writings just like, OK, yeah, I, I why? Why? Why is this a thing? So I get it. I get that. I, the riffs on it, though, I love the riffs on it. That's what I'm just like. How can people not say this is not a Metallica album? Because it very much is. I love the riffs on it. And Junior Dad, I love I love that song. I I don't care what everybody says. I really do love that song. And uh, it's just very it's sort of 
I feel like it's a perfect way to end the album. It's a perfect way for Lou Reed to go out. And yeah, and I know that David Bowie was like, oh, this is the greatest Lou Reed album, whatever. I'm like, okay. But uh, but yeah, I, I'm glad they did it because again, they it, it served that birth, death, rebirth thing that Metallica always does. And Metallica was born October 28th, 1981. There's Scorpio. So what's that? Birth, death, rebirth, ashes, all that stuff. Like Phoenix emerging from the ashes. That's the Scorpio quality, so they say. So I feel like Metallica has experienced that a lot with every album, with all their experiences, particularly with St. Anger, with almost breaking up and then, you know, coming back together. So, yeah, I agree with you on Lulu. I just wanted to say that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I am the table. What? No, you're saying like this. The last I remember you hearing saying is that the album was just a bunch of noise, like oh, metal machine music. Metal machine, yeah, metal machine music. Uh, they don't have nothing like that in their record. I didn't want uh, Lulu. Lulu, right? Oh. <laughs> little dog, little dog. No, 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 no. Say anger is their metal machine music. Oh my goodness. I love St. Anger. I do think it's good. Oh, I man. see the documentary, though, to get full context. Yeah, you need to watch it some kind of month. Watch that. Yeah. Watch that before we go to the 40th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's on Netflix or something, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Do the Never is also on Netflix. So that's a film, I, too. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's mostly a concert film, but it has these little subplots, I guess that aren't necessarily having to do with the concert. But the plot is this dude's a runner and he's uh, like, he was asked to get uh, something for the band. So that's basically the plot, but all this stuff goes on around it. So it's a very surrealistic film. Okay. But I, I love that film so much. It has made me love film again. Oh, I cannot tell you how much <laughs> I love that movie so much. I mean, I don't want to, if, if people haven't seen it, I don't want to really give anything away. You haven't seen it, so I won't really, uh, <laughs> I won't give any spoilers, but the editing is excellent. Everything about that movie is excellent. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of things, in my room, but I don't think that's enough to complain about it. I love that movie. If I ever meet Metallica, I will tell them I love that movie, and they might laugh at me because they're like, "Oh, we lost so much money." I don't, I don't care. I love that movie. <laughs> right, it's like it don't matter. I like it. I, thank you for making it. I know you lost money, like you almost went bankrupt or whatever, but I, I love that movie so much. <laughs> and I want to talk about it right now, but you haven't seen it, so but. I'm yeah, sure I gotta see it, right? Some people well, listen, haven't seen it either, but oh, I love that movie so much. Some kind of monster came out first, right? Yes, some kind of monster came out with 2003, 2004, something like that. 2004, I think, yeah. And then um, Through the Never came out 2013, and I I did not see it when it came out. I remember when it came out, but it was IMAX, and I was not living near IMAX theater, um, uh, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> like oh, okay 
but I love that movie so much. I love it. I love it so much. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so any other any other similarities between Metallica and Prince before I go off on through the never? <laughs> um, the way they treat their fans. I think Metallica definitely has a insight that they have loyal fans, and that's why you know they're not just releasing any type of music because I think they have an ear for what the fans want, even if it's not giving them everything they want. Is responding to at least a general idea of what you know the fans are looking forward to, and Prince did that too. I mean, he was pretty much listening all the time to see what people wanted, and he would spy all the time, whether it was YouTube, org, or wherever else, just reading to see what people were were interested in and bringing that up later. And I kind of have a feeling that Metallica does too, like they. They're probably aware of the the big forum or big fan uh, clubs too. Um, oh yeah, I mean they 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 have the forums on their website. So. Yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. so I do I do have a list, of course. <laughs> Let's get into it. Um, so I think like the the biggest thing is that both Prince and Metallica they they kind of have a sort of f the industry philosophy. And, you know, we kill them all, uh, even though, you know, they wanted to name their album, like, Metal Up Your Ass or whatever. I'm like, I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> but, you know, Cliff Burton is like, ah, oh, the executive, record execs, kill them all. And so they named their album Kill Them All. <laughs> ah. Unforgettable cover. <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, with where Metallica is now and where Prince got to, uh, you know, it may not be evident to a lot of people, but they all did things the way they wanted to. And I think yeah. that's why they were able to endure. And I think that both both Prince and Metallica, they produced uh, uh, albums that were genre defining. So, of course, Prince you know, birthed the Minneapolis sound and what we know as the Minneapolis sound. Even though, you know, you had the replacements, you had all, all these mm-hmm. other bands from Minneapolis, but Prince was like, Minneapolis, like, you don't think, oh, Minneapolis to replace, like, on some level, but I think overall, people like Prince Minneapolis. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I gotta got say it, to, when they did Windows Cry, I'm like, oh! oh! <laughs> Rob, I love y'all, that was hilarious. That was bad. He said, stomach, and so... I love y'all so much. You. Let me chase you. Chase you. <laughs> that was really you. iconic, though. I love it so much. Oh, my God, I love it. Oh. <laughs> so, and then, of course, Metallica, they're one of the progenitors of Bay Area Thrash. So, mm. a lot of people are like, oh, Thrash, you know, and then you had Exodus, you had Testament, you had bands like that that were doing Thrash around that time, but Metallica is seen as being one of the progenitors uh, the the people that burst the thrash scene in the Bay Area. So then, of course, as you mentioned, they switched up their sound and they also switched up their look after albums which sealed their place as musical behemoths. So Purple Rain and the Black Album, right after that, what was that? You had Around the World in a Day, you had Love Sexy. It's just like, what? Yeah, like, what? Purple Rain, Love Sexy, Runner, ah, okay, what's it? And then you had Load and Reload after the Black Album. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then at the same time, with Love Sexy 
and Load Slash Reload, those are very controversial covers. <laughs> I remember absolutely. <laughs> I remember walking down the street and seeing like you they'd have um Love Sexy in the window, but it would be covered like the bottom half would be covered. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. Yeah, that's just pretty intense. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, the Love Sexy cover, Prince is Naked on a Flower. Right. And it's like, okay, we're not putting this out. We're going to have to have a black sheet covering it, which is right. what apparently they did. Yeah. And yeah, when you told me the cover is about Load and Reload, right. which was obviously, that was just like, huh? And then, of course, people didn't know what it was. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, the artist is a sick. Shut your mouth. Because and when you find out, if you don't know already, um, you're gonna gonna spoil it. You're gonna find out when you find out. Andre Serrano. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, Prince was the catalyst to the founding of the PRMRC. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, darling Nikki. Darling Nikki. Even though Prince did Dirty Mind. Prince did jack you off. Prince Head. And I guess, I guess, you know, um, the Gore family wasn't listening to that. I know, because, I mean, Head and all these other songs yeah, are quite Head. far. I mean, yeah. Darla Nikki is a story. And she's, I mean, right. anything. <laughs> but, but, I, but, yeah, get it up. I mean, like, that stuff was oh, yeah. I mean, very much being played. Right. Yeah, exactly. Get it up. I mean, come on. Get any more nasty than that. Like, I was only 16, but I guess that's the right. way. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, why? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I guess Darling Nikki was, uh, Tipper Gore's kid was like, I met a girl named Nikki. He's like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you have prince was the catalyst to the founding of prmrc and then with um the master of puppets album metallica ended up putting a sticker on it it's like oh it has this on it if you don't like it don't buy it. <laughs> and, um, so metallica was sort of uh caught up in that wave of the satanic panic of the 80s and so Metallica and a whole bunch of other bands were like, oh, kids are out here acting wild and killing people and stuff and blah, blah. It's just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> so, huh? so, yeah, they got caught up in all that. And then um, the other thing is they both had very public battles with their record labels. So, of course, Prince uh, wrote Slave uh, in his yeah, battle with Warner Brothers. And then, um, then Metallica ended up suing Elektra Records. Uh, because their contracts, like this contract's from like 10 years old and, you know, it's like we're worth a lot more than that and we want our master's. So Metallica ended up getting their master's from that deal. And then they were on, I think, like one or two more albums on the lecture. Then they moved to Warner Brothers for like, say, for um, Death Magnetic, Beyond Magnetic and the Lulu album. And then they ended up doing Black and Records, which is their own label, which is one of the actual uh, similarities that they have. So then uh, they left their labels and had one-off album deals. So I would say, I guess from talk of like three records, but one main album and then two other two other projects. And then Prince had a, a Artificial Age on Warner Brothers. And then uh, 
They both got their masters back from the, from the catalogs and ended up running their own record labels, thereby making them independent artists. So again, uh, you know, Prince had several things like, you know, I think Emancipation was the first one, right? Yes. Yeah. And then uh, Metallica with the blackened label. And they even have their own record press and everything. So who? Uh, MPG yeah. records. Uh, then they also both have had contentious relationships with fans. So, of course, Prince sued fans. He sure did. And Metallica never sued fans. A lot of people say, oh, they sued that. They never did that. They sued Napster, but <laughs> they they had a list of fans who were using Napster, but they never sued the fans. They actually sued the universities that did carry Napster, but they never sued the fans. So get that right <laughs> but yeah. print did sue fans oh yeah uh, he didn't get it he didn't push it through but he still threatened it yeah yeah but like um both but metallica um when they did go through the napster thing a lot of fans like stomped on their albums and stuff like oh we hate metallica now and same thing prince people are like oh, i hate prince now so yeah they, they definitely had some contentious relationships with fans even though they've had dedicated fan bases there were some who were like ah, i hate them because of whatever situation <laughs> and then uh, both have also had a long storied interesting relationship with the internet partly by why both fans hate metallica and prince <laughs> so, right. and mm-hmm. part, partly the whole thing with the you know prince didn't let anybody put his music up he was like take it down uh, metallica is not so much like that. <laughs> I mean, there have been moments, but not like Prince. So I, I would say that Prince had even more contentious relationship with fans. Um, and both understood how the industry worked, which is why I suppose they did what they did. So um, they also have fan bases, which include people who wish they stayed in the 80s, which you mentioned. Right. So people want Prince to stay with the revolution. People want Metallica to keep doing Kill Em All. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then um, both Prince and Metallica also have moral slash spiritual slash religious allegories in their songs. So you hear, you hear a lot of that, um, especially uh, on Hardwired, you hear a lot of those, like uh, a lot of sort of religious and spiritual allegories. You hear it throughout um, other other albums and then of course prince he became a jehovah's witness <laughs> all over the place rainbow children and other albums uh then he had the cross which turned into the christ uh, so yeah it's a very interesting uh both have films that didn't do well upon release but are appreciated by the most hardcore of fans so purple rain didn't even do that well i don't think even though it won awards but i don't think it uh, I, I can't remember, so don't quote me, but I don't think it really did that well when it came out. And then later on, it was like, ah! and then of course, yeah. um, you know, all the other movies like like um, uh, Graffiti Bridge did not do well. No. Nope. Yeah. So his films didn't do that well, but the fans were like, yes. And of course, so we talked about Through the Never. Uh, that did not do well when it came out. They lost a ton of money. Uh, and then they also did the Orion uh, Orion Music and More Festival also lost money on that. It wasn't a film, but but they do projects where they lose money, but they're so great. Like, dang, you know. Um, and <laughs> my last thing on my list, Rick James was a lot like Dave Mustaine. 
<laughs> so Rick James and Prince were like, uh, and Dave Mustaine, he was uh, in the official incarnation of Metallica. He was the lead guitar player before Kirk Hammett. And then Dave Mustaine got kicked out and they did Kill Em All, which took a bunch of his riffs. Of course, he was credited on them. And then uh, he was credited on some stuff on Ride the Lightning. And he's just like, rah, you know, so uh, Rick James and Dave Mustaine are, to me, uh, very similar if we're talking about similarities between Metallica and Prince. And now we go with the common song themes. So death and rebirth, death, birth, rebirth is it's a huge umbrella of everything that is Metallica. Um, Fire, of course, there's fire and moth in the flame, fire to begin with the dance of the dead. Uh, James got set on fire. Uh, there's a lot of fire in their songs and then fire on the stage. And so that's a pretty huge theme. Uh, hypocrisy, of course, societal, religious relationships, hypocrisy in relationships, uh, addiction, as we've been talking about, and PTSD and mental health. And those are some major themes that run through their songs. Do you have any, right. any common themes? Yeah. Um, like, just like this creeping anxiety, uh, mm-hmm. like like the stress of not knowing, of not having that safety because you're being harassed by something like following you. Uh, I Is hear the Tulu following you. The ghost of Tulu. I I mean, I just feel like they cover a, a wider range of of um of, of human experience from. Like I mean, of course, you hear that the desire and the you know like the the covetousness and how that's often like posed as bad or posed as like the detriment. Um, thinking of uh, what's the song I hear in my mind? Beaten, uh, beaten, bruised and scarred. Is that it? Oh, broken, beaten, scarred. Yeah. Yeah, broken, beaten, and scarred. Yeah. 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 For yeah. everyone to listen to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, wow. So they had the the demo magnetic, which was uh, part of the box set for Death Magnetic. Yeah, those songs are great. And some of the um, Black Squirrel, it was the running title for Broken Bean and Scarred. And you know how I feel about squirrels, so I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love squirrels. So yeah, that was the working title for Broken Beat and Scarred. And then Casper was the title for Day That Never Comes. And yeah, that was the Day That Never Comes is already sad, but the demo version's like, oh, <laughs> oh man. Right. Oh no. Oh no. So now I come, okay, I'm really interested in this part because here we come to where we talk about uh our list of albums. And so we're not including soundtracks we're not including any collaborations uh, we're not including live projects covers albums all that so uh garage inc garage days the snms all that stuff we're not including those uh just for i'm saying brevity but i mean that's yeah. not what i practice <laughs> but just for the sake of just being like straight albums uh we're just going to talk about those and you know if we're gonna if we need to talk about those other things we can like we mentioned Lulu and but 
we are talking about the straight albums. And I don't know about you in terms of your consideration for how you're rating these albums. But for me, I'm not considering production or mastering because yeah. I, I think all no, of the no. albums have some issues with that. So I'm not being very picky about that. So um, I'm just looking at uh, the impacts that albums have made on me, uh, whether emotionally or, or otherwise. So that's that's how I'm rating them. So how are you? How are you rating? Yeah, yeah, like that. I'm not doing it based off of a production, but just kind of how I feel when I listen to them and where where it stays in my yeah yeah <laughs> so we're gonna do you wanna do uh um whether ten of them we're gonna do ten to one or one to ten ooh how is it when <laughs> if we do ten to one cool okay what's your ten <laughs> uh let's see number one wait one or ten I mean number ten. Uh, I'm going to go with, like, meaning at the last. Yeah, the last. Right, the last. Okay. Kill them all. Why? <laughs> because, again, it's like, it's loud. It's it's good, but it's just kind of like a rush. It's it, I'm not able to really process it as well as I process the other ones because the lyrics are not as developed and the production is not as... uh as as uh different either so i'm i don't like yeah it would have to be that one <laughs> and then people gonna be mad at you oh no we gonna we gonna go 10 10 9 9 9 hold up oh. okay yeah okay. people gonna be mad at you jesse oh. <laughs> <laughs> how can you rank them all what's wrong with you? you're a new fan what right. the, you're a new fan of course you're a new fan but let me tell you something i'm old and i said kill them all was 10 so you're gonna be mad right because <laughs> okay I, I, the same reason you said i feel like you know i was 14 15 that was my jam hit the lights all of that and i still love the album but again the impact and the life i've lived it doesn't have the same impact it's just fun to listen to but it's not i don't it doesn't resonate with me emotionally so um so yeah, even like when you know Kill 'Em All came out, I had that somebody gave me the demo and I was like, okay, that's really cool. So one of the things was the mechanics. I'm glad those got changed because they have the mechanics got changed to the Four Horsemen. The me- mechanics. I don't know if you've heard that version. So no. the OG was like uh, just allusions to sex, and I'm like, I don't oh. think that works with Metallica. So I'm glad that changed. <laughs> and jump in the fire, same thing. I'm just like, I don't want to hear James Hetfield sing. I just, I don't. It doesn't, like, if you look at the rest of their songs, like, it just doesn't work. And so I'm glad yeah. those got changed. I can't see him singing those at all. And even, you know, you look at early footage and then you listen to it, it just sounds weird. Like, I just, I can't, yeah, yeah I can't see it. Um, And then the thing I appreciate about Kill Em All they did the demo and then they did fire Mustaine, but then Kirk had to come in really quickly and learn all the riffs and solos. I appreciate it for that. Yeah. Like we gotta give Kirk some credit, man. He didn't play as fast as Mustaine. I actually like that he played it a little bit slower. Uh, I, I appreciate how he played it, but again, he had to learn all of those riffs and he had to learn all those solos. So let's give some some love to yeah. Kirk. 
Come on, man. I for that. So, like, yeah, we have nine more albums to cover. And, again, I love all the albums. So, I just, for us, Kill Em All just does not emotionally resonate the same no. as the other ones. So, you know, hate us, but. That's just what it is, though. Hate us now and under in my hand. Hate <laughs> Now we hate it, kill them all, we don't hate it. It's just number 10, we don't hate it. Anyway, <laughs> you're number nine. Nine. <laughs> I would have to say. Uh-oh. I know. You haven't decided this yet? I have decided, no, I'm just like, I guess it's Lulu. Oh, we're including Lulu? We're not including Lulu. If not, then we're going, I'm going to go to Ride the Lightning. Wow! I, I know, I know. Some hate. So why is Ride the Lightning number nine for you? You are totally going to get some hate. I'm I know. Well, it's just because, again, as great as it sounds, and I love its sound. I mean, that was the second album I heard from them. Mm-hmm. Outside of To Whom the For Whom the Bell Tolls mm-hmm. and Fade to Black, and the call of um, Tulu, I just think it's um, it just it don't it, it doesn't have wheels enough yet for me. Wow, to, to, this is interesting. To, this is- I actually listened to it today, and I actually and I do love the album, but in terms of the album as a whole, as to say like, yeah, this is my, you know, um, I'm so interested in your choices right now. I am so interested. This is fascinating to me. Let's tell you. Yeah. Wow. My nine is by the lightning. Wow. I'm so fascinated by that. My nine is as much as I'm. I'm such a defender of this album as Saint Anger, and here's why. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's the only album that could have followed Load and Reload. If you really pay attention to again each each even though each album is different than one another, uh, there's a pattern that follows thematically, whether it's lyrically or musically or whatever. So the theme, and I'm gonna get into that later, but it, I'll just say it's the only album that could have followed Load and Reload. Uh, and I think Say Anger was necessary to make. I love the album. I, I feel like it was the album that saved Metallica. I think Bob Rock, he even called somebody a hero. He was a hero, <laughs> hero of the day. <laughs> but um, but yeah, he he was he held it together. He was a producer, but he stepped back because he's like this band needs to stay together. So I'm gonna step back as producer, gonna be the bass player. And I think that it was necessary. The lyric people are like, oh, the lyrics are juvenile, whatever. It it needed to happen. They were falling apart. Yeah. James was in therapy. Um, the thing that makes it number nine for me, though, no solos. Kirk got no, no solos. No solos. That's right. Kirk got no. The, and so the songs just went on and on and on. Like the parts that could have used solo. Like Invisible Kid goes on forever. Yeah, no. And, and I, again, I love the album, but I'm just like, it needs solos. It, it needs solos. And, and that was the biggest thing for me. I, I love uh, a lot of people hate Kirk's line. My lifestyle determines my steps. So I love that line. My lifestyle determines my steps. So I love that line. Thank you, Kirk. 
Thank you, Kirk, for writing that. I love it. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, it, the songs could have been cut. And yeah, so, absolutely. It, it, that's what gives it a nine for me. It just, mm, it, and I actually like the girl, 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 girl. I like that. I actually do like that. Yeah. And I like the discordant. I like the discordant notes. I like all of that. But the album, it's just, it's a little too repetitive. At the same time, I think that needs to happen. They, they, there's a lot that needed to be let out. But it's just, it needed some solos. And Kirk was absolutely correct. So as much as I love the album, uh, as much as I defend St. Anger, as much as I think it's needed, is number nine for those reasons. Some people put it at 10 or not at all. <laughs> well, it's, okay. This is not an album to me. I don't know. <laughs> but people like St. Anger and Lulu, no. But yeah, I, I am a defender of St. Anger. And, but because of the reasons, it's just... Uh, goes up near the solos and they could have cut they could have cut like two three minutes from the songs yeah (laughs) number eight say anger oh say anger show number eight why why well because yeah to that i mean i love solos and there are no solos and that was painful to listen to but that's my that's the reason why yeah i love saying anger i i feel it's like, oh, do you have to rate everything if you love all of them? Just just for the sake of this, yes. Like, I love all of them, but just, yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> My number eight <laughs> is your number nine. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why. Uh, delight me. hate me for rating it so low. But again, it's about emo- emotional resonance for me. I think the fact that they went from Kill em All to this is absolutely brilliant. I'm glad they did. Again, like the cliff thing, I love that people defend this so hard because at the time people were calling him sellouts because of the opening of Fight Fire with Fire and because of Faith of Black. People were like, oh, they sold out, they're doing ballads, right? So it's the same exact thing. It's not like the the, the criticism for the Black album is a new thing. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, the songs are well written. I love, like they kind of do have pop structures like the verse chorus verse uh you know escape is a great song i know james hadfield hates it i think the song is great (laughs) the only time they played it was at their ryan festival because they did ride the lightning from back to front he's like oh do we have to do the song but it's a great song james like stop it (laughs) so at least they did that but they haven't done i don't think they did devil dance they haven't done fix it there's a few songs they've never done and they did escape and james hates it but, um, uh, but yeah, for whom the bell tolls, I feel like that's more of a pop structure. But it's a classic Metallica song. People love for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. But it's just like they can do songs like that and be fine. So I don't understand why people are like, oh, they sold out in the Black Album or whatever. Because it's literally similar structures, like shorter songs, more verse, chorus, verse, got a solo in there. Like for whom the bell tolls doesn't even have a huge solo. Just like, what? So, oh, but um, I, the the reason why it is number eight for me is because it's still verging on general subjects and it doesn't really get personal. So I mm-hmm. love when the lyrics. That's what I mean about the the wheels. Like it it doesn't go, go as far. Okay. Yeah. 
but it's still it's still a group the mm-hmm. other thing like like i am not a fan like i like more of the drier production of justice um like or death magnetic i, I feel like Rise and Lightning have way too much reverb. I am not a fan of that much reverb. It's a great album, though. But, yeah, I'm just like, why is there so much reverb on this album? But we're not talking about production. I'm just I'm just commenting on that. But, yeah, I I just, yeah, I love the songs. But it's just, if we're talking about emotion being, like, emotionally resonating with the songs, it just, uh, like, I, I wouldn't say that it doesn't have wheels, because I think it does. <laughs> but I just, I don't. Like in terms of my personal feelings and my life's journey, there's like one or two songs I can go, oh, like Trapped Under Ice is just a fun song, but I can't be like, I relate to that so much. Right. I guess if, uh, you know, if I got buried under the snow when I got hit, sure, I guess. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just they're fun songs. Like Fight Fire with Fire is my jam. Uh, but yeah, I think um, Fade to Black is the one song I'm like, oh, okay. And then um, the pre-chorus of Creeping Death. I have no idea why. I don't know why it makes me think of cats. I have no idea. <laughs> it's like, so I love it. I love it. If if just for that, I love it. Right. <laughs> Number seven. What's your seven? The Black Album. Okay, why? Because uh, I think that's the Merging point where you know you got a song like Enter Sandman. I remember that was when you was like, when we first started talking about Metallica, you was like, Oh, you've heard Enter Sandman. I was like, I don't think so. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, you do. And then when you did, Enter, I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's them. I mean, I do love the Black Album. I just think it's, um, it's the perfect, it makes sense why it's seven for me because it doesn't, as great as those songs are. Mm-hmm. From through the never, nothing else matters. Struggle within, my friend of misery, the guy that fell. All those are great songs. But as a whole, I I still feel like it's 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 um I, I can listen to it a lot, but I wasn't really really as um as compared to the ones that came after that. I just felt like this one was just it was good. But I'm not gonna say it's the epitome for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my number seven too maybe. wow okay okay well we maybe we do have similar stuff um so yeah i, I feel like you did like, there's some stuff that are remnants of justice on the black album like through the never struggle within and then like even yeah. um with freight end of sanity goes um struggle within triggered again now the candle burns at both ends so so yeah, there's a struggle within, and then um, it's so friend. It sounds like a little bit like through the never. So yeah, uh, so there's a little bit thematically and lyrically. Um, so there's elements of that. And so yeah, I think again, while no album sounds like any other album, there's still a few themes that poke out on the next album from the last album. And that makes a lot of sense because they probably either have extra songs from that album that they put or writing during, you know. Uh, so, uh, why this is seven? Uh, it's just because, uh, yeah, it's seven because it's like in the middle. <laughs> but, um, you know, from from the time they did Kill 'Em All, their whole goal was to be the me- biggest metal band ever. This just sealed the deal for them. 
but I don't think they intended to be like, we're going to sell out or we're going to sell a lot of records. Like, I don't think that's what they were thinking about. They weren't Michael Jackson doing Thriller. Michael Jackson was like, I want to sell so much and be the biggest, you know, star. Like, I, I don't think Metallica was thinking of it that way, even though they did. They wanted to be a, a huge metal band. But I think it, to me, it seems like they were surprised by how successful they were. But they also got nominated for a Grammy for Justice or one. So, you know, and then they played on the Grammys. And then I, I feel like that got, as you said, the wheels rolling. And then it was like, oh, the Black Album wins. And OK, that, then it was like, OK. So, yeah, I feel like the, the wheels were already turning and churning. But but yeah, Bob Rock is like, I want to give you a sound where it sounds like the same element when you're playing live and that's what they got and it's literally if not the greatest produced metal album one of the greatest metal produced produced metal albums of all time and i think you know the fact that you know og fans bought it or fans that were into justice and were like what is this and then you had 50 billion eleven other people were like Aaron sandman oh yeah they bought that so it's just it just started then and yeah. I think even with Inner Sandman, there are, are origins of that song would be about crib death. So I don't think they were looking to be really like we're trying to sell a lot of records. I, mean, I don't think a song about oh. crib death would do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they're not trying to. You know, I, I don't think they were trying to be like Thriller or anything, but it just ended up being that way. <laughs> That's just from my perspective. But I think like with wherever I may moan, I feel like that's. A younger sibling to Motor Breath, like if you just listen to that, and then uh, Holy in the Now, I feel like that could be a cousin of Leper Messiah. They struggle with and my friend of Misery. I feel like they could be siblings. They're on the same album, but it's like someone who just, in a way, takes pleasure in just being miserable, or or just like don't want to do anything about it. And it's just like, I'm struggling. I'm struggling eternally. It's like, well, okay, figure it out. You know, I don't know. <laughs> right. uh, and we all know people like that. <laughs> yes. And then Atlas Rise, of course, is a sibling to those. It's just like, how does it feel on your own? Pound by the world all alone. Question the heavy skies. And then, uh, then you had uh, My Friend of Misery, of course, that's the second song that was co-authored by Jason Newstead. And so it had a little bit of a country twang and a, a B-bender. They used a B-bender. So it's Telecaster. And then it has this thing which you can pull to get the B-string to bend more. And so I think that's pretty cool. And so then you ended up seeing stuff like that in the Load album. That's what I'm saying. Like stuff from the album before has some clues which lead you to the next album. And <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah. And then. Like, out of nowhere, there was a love song. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. Like, wow. I freaking love Metallica. I do, oh, man. <laughs> and then you had, um, so with that, even, like, with the vulnerability, you had Dyer's Eve. And then you had this angry kid, James Hetfield, who's just like, okay, uh, I met someone that I was able to open my heart to. And I wrote a song about it. And I was playing the riffs to her. And then I wrote a song around it. and. You know, and then, like, that gave us clues in terms of what was to come. So, I mean, all of this, you know, like, for me, uh, probably why this is number seven was the huge misstep. I consider it a misstep. Don't tread on me. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I, I feel like just again, where uh, in terms of where I stand, ideology is in the exact opposition to that. And so I'm like, ee, like, ooh. And I feel like the musically is cool, but I just can't, I can't get with the lyrics. Uh, especially like you do an album like Justice and then you do, I'm like, no, Ugh, no. So that was another side eye moment for me. <laughs> so I'm just like, yeah, the rest of dope on Don't Tread on Me. Like, uh, but the jingoism, I'm like, that's just, to me, that's just straight trash. Yeah. So I was just like, the, I, it is the one song that I do skip on that album because I just, I can't. Either that or have to look at it as satire, but I, I can't I can't do it. And I know it's not satire, but I think that Headfield kind of like he has said in interviews that he doesn't like the song. So, you know, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> and I love like his some of his favorite bands are like Discharge, like very um, like they were part of like anarcho punk scene and stuff like that. And, uh-huh him to write a song i'm like what's scratching my head what's going on so yeah i mean i i again there's like you can totally like a band but not agree with you know some of the views or whatever so that's the dialectics of james outfield (laughs) number six what's your number six death magnetic (laughs) (laughs) why because i mean it's good i mean this is but i mean we it's just like preparing you for what comes after like the 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 next top five um i don't have any problem with death magnetic i mean it's one of my favorites actually Mm -hmm. but in context of the other ones i had to put it here that's really the main reason why it's six um that i love death magnetic especially because of the beyond magnetic because it has one of my favorite songs just Mm -hmm. to blow it away yeah that's mm, that's a great one yeah, Beyond that, that is just great. Yeah, sonically, yeah. it sounds really good sonically. See, a lot of people would disagree with you because that uh, was a recipient of the loudness wars. <laughs> so maybe the digital version is different. Possibly, if you yeah. listen, because I I have I have the CDs, so that's very good. I have I have like all of the albums I have are physical copies, so that's just a little different, but. Yeah, it's just like a lot of clipping in the drums and stuff. That does not take anything away from me, though. I know people are like, I can't listen to it because that, like, I, that doesn't, yeah, sure, could it be better, but that doesn't take it away from me as well. But it's also my number six. <laughs> <laughs> so we might be, uh, ooh, this I is don't know. Right. going. Um, I just think, like, people are like, oh, there's a return to form for Metallica. I'm like, what? To me, it was just a chapter in their book. It's just another great chapter in their book, and they continue to have them, and they will continue to have them. I feel like, again, like with what happened before, kind of the next album will follow it up. So you had, you know, Load, Reload, uh, St. Anger, and then the Death Magnetic. And it was like, I I feel like Suicide and Redemption is a perfect title for for this experience. (laughs) And I feel like people sleep on that track. It's like, oh, it's instrumental. It's like 10 minutes, almost 10 minutes, blah, blah, blah. But I think coming out of such a tumultuous period that they did, I feel like this album was needed. And they survived that period. I, I, I feel like that's what this whole thing is about. And then, you know, oh, they went back to their thrash roots. And they're like, what we going to do? And um, Rick Rubin was like, why don't you just go to your roots? <laughs> and they're like, go, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and that's what they did. 
<laughs> but you know, again, people are like, oh, the mastering's horrible. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, people talk about the loudness war or anything that takes them away from listening to it. But that that doesn't matter to me. I just oh, I feel like also if you look at the lyrics, it'd be interesting if you listen to the demo versions with Death Magnetic because yeah, they had. You know, obviously they have working titles to their demos. And the Judas Kiss, the working title was Gym Bag. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, Gym Bag? But it's funny because the lyrics were where he sings uh, in Judas Kiss, Judas Liz recite this vow, I become your new god now. So, and uh, on the demo verses, on your feet or on your knees, freedom is just one of these. And I'm like, I love both versions of those. So, I feel like he could have just added both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, my apocalypse. That's interesting because it might have it had similar elements, but then the original lyrics to the, the the working lyrics is talking about pushing or daring yourself in the suicide lane. And I'm like, hmm. And I feel like that created more of a book into that was just your life. So, yeah, the demo versions are really interesting. Um, And they have a much sadder element to it in some way. And they actually had a lot more harmonies, too, which is interesting. Uh, And then, of course, the black squirrel. I'm like, black squirrels. Yay, squirrels. Yay. But, yeah, I I love this album. But I'm like, we see the the five that are coming. So, (laughs) what's your five? Uh (laughs) The five. Uh-oh. Would have to be. Uh, this is hard because I like both, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna say reload. Okay, okay, okay. Why? <laughs> because I think. Wait, I'm getting it mixed up. Load is not reload. It's load. Oh, load is five. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I love load. I mean, it took it a. I mean, no, I'm getting I, reload. I'm I'm sorry. Wait, which one? Load or reload? Reload. Or reload for sure is five. And then load is four. <laughs> so reload. why is reload five? Because reload has, I mean, it's good. It, it's just, it's hot. I mean, but it, you know, it takes it another, I mean, both of these albums are good. They're, these are really kind of hard to pick, but I had to, in connection to like the other two that I think is... <laughs> So, yeah, I would have to say that's why. I mean, it's not because it's not deserving of being higher, but in light of their history on the, the albums we, we've yet to mention, I think it's a fitting place. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Well, my five is Hardwired. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, I remember when Hardwired came out because Metallica didn't have the album what, for eight years or whatever. I was like, Metallica is a new, what, what? Metallica? So I, listened, I was like, this is dope. So the first song that I heard was Spit Out the Bone. And I was like, this is dope. Like, this, all right. And I was like, oh, they went back to hardcore, but at the same time, or thrash, but at the same time, I was like, they went back to thrash? Okay. <laughs> but I wasn't like, oh, it's much better. But I was like, this is, this is, this is dope. And so I, I like how Hardwire has like the bookends of thrash so they have hardwired it spit out the bone and then they have like they sort of went back to their um new wave of british heavy metal inspired kind of stuff 
So like NWO BHM, New Wave of British Heavy Metal. And, and Alice Rise, I think the, the working title was actually um, NWO BHM. And it definitely sounds like that. So New Wave of British Heavy Metal is like Judas Priest or Iron Maiden and that kind of stuff. And um, my favorite metal riff of all time is Run to the Hills, <laughs> Iron Maiden. Yeah, I love that. I love That's my favorite riff of all time and i wish metallica would stop playing around and play the whole song but how it needs to be done is that robert needs to sing the first verse and james the second and that would make so much (laughs) if you heard the song you know what i mean but uh yeah they they need to stop just playing around and playing the first riff and play the whole song already so they ended that with um garage days it was just like oh no and then it faded out or whatever and then They've actually played um, with Nico McBrain, a drummer, who's a drummer of Iron Man. So it's just like, stop playing. I just played a whole song. I'm tired of this, Metallica. (laughs) So, so yeah. So they had the elements of New Wave of British Heavy Metal all over Hardwired. But I do feel like Hardwired reads more like a retrospective of their career. So you hear elements of all their albums. On Hardwire, I think it's really cool. You definitely hear a ton of load and reload elements. Uh, James was like, oh, it's a mix of uh, Black Album and Kill 'em All. And you do hear that, but I hear elements of all the albums. I think that is what James said. And then, like, with Puppets, you, you hear elements of Puppets. Like, with, uh, like, Here Comes Revenge, I hear some Puppets a little bit. We spit out the bone, I hear elements of Justice. I mean, it's, it's like, it's all over the place with all of their albums. It, I think, yeah, it's really impossible to stick to one sound. So especially like at this point. <laughs> so I, the interesting thing about Hardwire is like every edition, they have a different cover and a track listing. I don't know the track listing of the digital version, but I think it is different than the vinyl and the CD versions. And I have the vinyl and CD versions and they're both different. And then I have the, the um, yeah, so the, I think the special edition, which has all the covers and Lords of Summer and all that. So the cover is the same as the regular CD version, but the vinyl is different than that. And the, the photos or whatever are all, all different on all of them. But yeah, it's, uh, so it's all interesting. They're definitely, they're a band that loves that kind of stuff. They love art. They love like, f- touching physical copies of things. So I think that's, what they lend all, all their albums to it's like well here's different editions you're gonna buy it you know <laughs> um so number four what's your four i said so i said my fifth was reload and so my fourth is load okay yeah the reason why is because again it can't as great as it is it's not the other ones <laughs> that i'm waiting okay. for <laughs> so my four is reload so you know what's coming with the other three right uh, <laughs> <laughs> but load and reload were slated to be a double album and i think it was like use your illusion said so a use your illusion one and two guns and roses are like we'll put two but but load and reload came out a year apart <laughs> instead of like together and so like for me I love Reload. Load and Reload, I, you know I love them. So I, ugh, 
I love all of them, but Load and Reload have a very special place in my heart. But the Reload does have a little bit less personal songs. And that's probably like, I don't I don't know, from from a production standpoint or whatever, uh, maybe is to balance out the heaviness of Load and some of the songs on Reload. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like Unforgiven 2 has, the you know, the murder ballad thing. And I mean, obviously you know, amidst the, the Southern blues and rock kind of stuff, the, the elements that you have, they have fixer. I mean, can't yeah. you know what father's done? I mean, I'm like, hello. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, so the songs are still very, very intense on the album. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little less heavy than, than Load is. <laughs> but I, I love Load and Reload. If they were one album, people are like, oh, they need to cut the song. I'm like, no, put them all together. I don't care. So, yeah, it is my number four. Uh, but, you know, the number three, what's your number three? My three is Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Okay, why? Um, Because that's a great album. I think it deserves. And I think it's going to be valued as even more amazing you know, as years pass down, it's only been five years since it came out, but I think it's it just sounds really good. I think it just it, it fits it's a fitting place for three because there's only one or two more. there's only two more and we know which one well I know yeah anyway. I know which one is my two and my one, but I know your yours is gonna be switched flopped probably. Oh my god. Alright, my three is load but I gotta say Load has been fighting tremendously to be number one. So that says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> because I think you know who my number one is. So for Load to fight with my number one says a lot about how much I really absolutely love Load. And so making Load number three is really hard for me. <sighs> I love it. I, I love this album so much. <sighs> but Mm, yeah, this this is hard for me. Um, I feel like Load was the vehicle that burst the anger. Uh, I think that around the time James was actually doing some rehab stuff, but it was very, very brief. Um, so I, I feel like some of the lyrics that come out of this came out of that, if indeed he was doing that. But I think he was and then just left because he was he said in interviews, he said, yeah, I did. You know, uh, so. I don't know. I just, I feel like Load is like the history of Metallica. Not like the history, but yeah. like the Michael Jackson album history. It's like a cry for help. And how the house Jack Bill is one of their greatest songs. I, I, oof. It's just, it's like we talked about it earlier. It's just, it, it's sort of commingling that vague and the personal, but it's so relatable. It, to me, it's just a perfect description of someone that's experiencing alcoholism, battling alcoholism. But a lot of people, like even you talking about it, like people don't know what Jack means. They're like, who's Jack? What's Jack? Yeah. So the fact that you can write this song and get another feeling out of it without knowing what it could be about, I think is still a well-written song. You know, as people talk about Jack being just personal demons in general, I think that could work. Um, but I just say, look at like open doors as I walk inside, you know, like a lot of lyrics do allude to alcoholism. Like my body is temple, this temple, it tilts like 
just living with an alcoholic mother, like those lyrics were very clear. So, uh, right. and then, um, so Hero of the Day, uh, just absolutely Fantastic. beautiful. And so it's another song that's dealing with the relationship between parent and child. Like a, a, a child should feel safe where they are with their caretakers and a lot of children don't. So they seek someone else. They seek other places. So they're looking for the hero of the day, uh, maybe the hero of the week, maybe the hero of the month, but some place to find some kind of comfort and just the riff that you're the opening riff, Kirk. Oh, I love you, Kirk, so much. <laughs> just, I feel like the, just the, the riff was just so comforting to, those lyrics um and then the snm version i don't know if you've heard that but uh, tear again just uh, and then it's just like mama they try and break me i'm just like oh come on like oh uh, james headfield man I, uh, man <laughs> but just uh, this I, I love this album it's really really fighting to be number one for me yeah, the, the riff of Hero Day, just so consoling. And just, you know, the album Mama Said, he talked about just coming to grips with a lot of the unresolved issues he faced, particularly with his mother, just in life dealing, you know, maybe that was him coming to realization about his addictions. You saw some of that on Reload. Uh, just, I, I think that people focused a lot on the superficial stuff. Oh, they all got haircuts. Jason got a haircut way before load, but people were like, they all got haircuts at the same time. No, Jason shaved his hair, head off, hair, hair off, not head. <laughs> and then, you know, like had short hair. So Jason did it first and then they all did it. And then the makeup and everything. And so, you know, people paid attention to that, but not the content in the music people ah oh, it sucks or whatever it's not it's not thrash i'm like oh, lo- i love load so much i i love metallica oh what's your number two <laughs> <laughs> so my two would have to be master of puppets okay why <laughs> great album exceptional i know it's year one Morning. yeah you gave it away but yeah. i know but i mean it's it's, it's hard to yeah, I mean, these are two great albums, and Justice for All is my number one because it just it, it hits on all of the levels from production to lyrics to it just has the stats. Like you know, when you're listening to it, you're listening to something. It's so hard to. I remember when I first heard it, I was like, "Wow, this is like a heavy sound, like this industrial type sound." So I have a question for you because that's totally contradicting everything you talked about. Is it? Yeah, because you said you you like a lot the later stuff because it's not as hard. I know, but it's this is well, I don't know. It's kind of like it merges. This seems different though, out of the ones that came out. I mean, I feel like it could just be the lyrical content and how far the the songs display the emotion when I listen to them. Mm-hmm. But it, I feel like they 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 hit at a at a rate that's just like in sync with with the lyrics, even though it's from. 88 it still has that that flavor it manages to get out the trend <laughs> <laughs> it's great wow yeah you gave it away <laughs> justice for all number two and again lotus fighting lotus fighting, lotus fighting. Like, justice for all is the album that 
said to me, I love Metallica. Uh, for, uh, again, I was like introduced to Kill 'Em All and Master of Puppets. And then like when I first heard Justice, I was like, this is cool, you know, whatever. And then like I listened to it again, like, okay, okay. Like I remember being at somebody's house and it's like the cassette and I was like, blackened, yes. <laughs> like it was just like, I don't know, it was that moment. It was just like, I love this band. What's Going On is my favorite album of all time. To me, Injustice for All is the what's going on of metal. So, I mean, that, again, says a lot for me. And, you know, the, the first song fair. being about the, the environmental destruction, either through, like, nuclear weapons or whatever, human, human unkindness, whatever. I mean, it's such a powerful song. Thank you, Jason Newstead, for writing the main riff. Thank you. If, again, if you did nothing else in that band, you wrote Blackened. And we have everything to thank you for for that. And then, I mean, the rest of the album, t- talking about, like, justice only being served for those who have the resources and capital to pay for it. I mean, this is, this is the album. Talking about, like, the remnants of McCarthyism. Talking about the, the damaging repercussions of militarism to the mental health, just all of those things in this one album. These dudes were like 24, 25 or whatever. It's just like, it's like Stevie Wonder writing music of my mind at 20 or 21. This album's just so amazing. And so it, it is the album, you know, people are like, oh, the album has no bass. Like the coolness of the production fits with the themes of the album. Like if it was all, if it was, all reverb or if it was just very I don't I don't know it, it wouldn't have worked and at the same time everyone loves the guitar tones of justice so I'm like which one is <laughs> and then like with that um like the black album to me you know if we're talking about Marvin Gaye the black album was uh, Metallica's let's get it on because that the the next album was like we're just trying to chill like we're not trying to do a heavy album like we were doing so I I just I don't know. I feel like they they followed that pattern too. And then like one, so if you look at uh, it was so there are several times when you know James did uh, you know for the S and M he did Unforgiven three. It was just him with no guitar, which is very strange to see him always with no guitar, either when he is injured or whatever. Or just, he's just with no guitar. It's just weird. But he did um, Unforgiven 3 at the SNM 2. And then uh, he did the one with Apocalyptica at the 30th anniversary show at the Fillmore. It was so beautiful. So beautiful. And then they did, um, uh, what, what was it like? Was it also one? Yeah, it was one with Lang Lang. Uh, and, and when they were in China, so it's just like I just love the steps they take to create different elements to the song. And one again is a song that means a lot to me. Um, and it was, of course, you know, stuck in 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 my brain, playing it over and over. And then the accident happened, and then it just had a whole other different significance. Though so, uh, it's just I love that album, man. So you're number one is justice for all why <laughs> uh lyrical content 
I love the rock. Like I said, the sound. It sounds. I don't know what it is about the the sound that immediately kicked kicked me the way it does. Very thematic and just like hitting you as soon as you hear it, and it can say it, it stays that way. Yeah. And it's, it's like yeah. I I just remember my reaction when I first heard it. I knew it would be an album I was going to revisit often. Wow. Man, they're so good. So, yeah, Master of Puppets is my number one album. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the songwriting got better after Master of Puppets, and I don't even necessarily emotionally connect with Master of Puppets like I do the later albums, but there's something, it's just like, and even, like, it's still got a little bit of reverb, I'm like, eh, but um, I don't know. This album laid the groundwork for everything that was to come. This album is perfect. There is not one skippable song on it. Battery, that was my jam. It's still my jam. Obviously, Blacken is my number one favorite song. But Battery is the jam, and it probably always will be the jam. And whenever it comes on, I'm like, what's up? And then just, uh, like, the writing of Battery. Let me tell you something. That The writing is brilliant. This is, this is, just shows you how brilliant James Hetfield is. His pen game is on point. So, what do you think Battery is about? I mean, I just, it seems like it's about, uh, if I had a guess, it's about the heart. Wow, okay. I, 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 I would say you're on the long lines of that. <laughs> I think that's funny you said that. So, Battery is literally, it was like Battery Street, and they played on clubs on Battery Street. The song is about that whole scene on Battery Street. That's oh. what the song primarily is about. However, the song is alluding to when people think of battery, like assault and battery. So ah. looking at it that way, they're like, battery, what? Ew. Why is the song like? There's a hungry, violent seeker. Feed out the weaker, bring out its hand. It's just like, so that song literally could be about assault and battery. But yeah. it is. About Battery Street and that whole scene, that thrash scene in the Bay Area, it's it's so beautiful. But when he says Battery is found in me, so so you be like, you wind me up, I'ma beat you out. Like it could be like that. <laughs> but, but Battery is found in me. To me, it says the same thing when he says, "We'll never stop, we'll never quit," because you're Metallica. To me, it has the same exact message. Like. Like, we may lo- no longer be playing these clubs on Battery Street, but that spirit of Battery Street still lives in me. Yeah, okay. That is, like, to me, that is brilliant songwriting because people uh, it's, people have to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, dang, man. And so, so, again, like, if you look at it on the surface, it's about assault and battery. If you look at it on a, a very superficial level, it's a song called Battery. And he's talking about, about violence. <laughs> he's talking about all of these things. Circle of discretion, hammer comes crushing, powerhouse of energy. But if you've been in a pit, you know exactly what he's talking about. Because that's exactly what goes on in the pit. Uh-huh. So like, like, thrash hard, DRI, in the pit, in the pit, in the pit. Like, it's, you know the feeling, what happens when you're in that pit. And then to be able to establish a scene on Battery Street. And then it's it's like, you know, we may be away from battery, but battery 
uh, we, but battery never left us. That's, that's what the song is. And it's just, it, it's like so many other songs that James, James Hetfield writes. That I, it's just, I love how he writes that song. And I like Kirk, everybody, I love everybody who contributed to battery. Battery has one of my favorite solos. I just, I, and then battery also has literally my favorite drum fill from Lars, Lars Ulrich right before you get to, it's like, or after, sorry, after that. So you have the solo and then you have it. That's my favorite. That's my my favorite drum fill of Lars Eric of all time. <laughs> I love. Uh, I always. I I love that drum fill so much. <laughs> so yeah, battery is is like Whiplash and Hit the Lights is just a better written song. It's it's absolutely better written. And then like also it's it's probably the first time that I noticed. Uh, how James the pattern it works in tandem with Lars because his like lyrical pattern is very percussive as well as his rhythm playing a lot of times. So it's just it's so br- the whole the Master Puzzle is a brilliant album. It just you can't go wrong with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then I talked about the cannot kill the family and so it's just like the Metallica family and you know all this stuff. It's just it just uh oh, it's not it's not literal writing at all. And James Hetfield is not a literal writer, really. But I think that's a perfect example of, you know, how a song can be interpreted one way and it meaning another. Master of Puppets, to me, is the metal version of Home is Where the Hatred is. One of my favorite Gil Scott Heron songs, which talks about the like someone going through an addiction. Um, Home is where the needle marks try to fill my broken heart. And it might not be such a bad idea if I never, ever go home again. I mean, you just you just hear the pain and, and Master of Puppets, I feel like, works in that same way. And um, if someone were to ask me what the perfect quintessential Metallica song is, Master of Puppets is the perfect quintessential Metallica song. Uh, the description of someone experiencing a high and then the come down I mean, is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And then like you would see that theme in later songs. Like were I mean you fade to black is another example. Um but I it just it's like the nuances were so perfect and then it's just like it's like come then it's like fix me and then like the solo and it's just ugh, it's so oh, so perfect. And then just to capture the nuances of addiction, but not yet either realize or acknowledge or understand his own addictions is just like, like you just wrote a song that's so perfect and you didn't even realize that you were dealing with that. It's just, whoo, and just writing from the perspective of both someone who's struggling with addiction and the addiction itself, um, how the addiction lures you in, uh, just understanding like, it's just like, here's my purpose for you. Uh, I will occupy. I will help you die. I will run through you. Now I rule you too. Like, come on. Come on. And then like, just your life burns faster. Just, uh, it's just like, like, that's a total straight edge song, even though they weren't straight edge. And then just, you know, the, the high comes down and then the person addicted is, is like facing disillusionment, disappointment. And then gets pulled back in. 
just like, fix me, I need a fix. And just, ugh. It's just, and then you have like, like being pulled in by James Hetfield's initial solo and then Cliff Burton, like his bass line to me was kind of James Jamerson like. James Jamerson is my favorite bass player. Um, and then the high that happens, and you have Kirk's solo. This, ugh. I feel like it's it's an absolutely perfect song that captures what happens during addiction, like regardless of what that addiction is. But obviously he's talking about like heroin and stuff or, you know, chop your breakfast on a mirror, and, you know, all, all those kind of harder drugs. Um, so uh, and then Disposable Heroes, that is my favorite song on Master of Puppets. Just again, just a description. Just and then the pause. I was born for dying. Yeah, just perfect. Absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Perfect, 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 perfect. So, uh, yeah, so that's the, the the list of our favorite albums. Again, I personally love all of the albums, but it is what it is. So now uh, we have the part where we're going to talk about the songs we want to see at MTF. Metallica turns 40. What, what songs do you want to see? Um... I just, I mean, I don't, I'm not really being picky. I want to just be surprised, <laughs> whatever, because I, you know, being at this is my first show. I think yeah. I would love to see, of course, the songs that I've out there performed, like "Bullet Away," "Devil's Dance." Of course, I would like to hear the "Struggle Within." I kind of am open for 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 surprise, though, truly. Mm. You are so kind. <laughs> Cause I got a, I got a gay, I got like three whole concerts over here. Um, so yeah, I, I, they're gonna play the classics. They're, I most likely, or definitely gonna play puppets. They're gonna play one lightning or play harvester. Maybe that's a, that's a favorite. Sad but true, creeping death. Uh, maybe Inner Sandman. I don't know. This is a MTF, so they might not play Inner Sandman because it's the more most hardcore fans. Uh, so I didn't include those on the list. Uh, I, honestly, if they play anything that I'm getting ready to say, I'll be surprised. I'll just say that. So my list is ooh, Day That Never Comes, Leper Messiah, all three of the Unforgivens, Blackened, both electric and acoustic versions, Mama Said, Devil's Dance, Dirty Window, Outlaw Torn, Suicide and Redemption, the Cthulhu Trio, so call it Cthulhu, the thing that should not be, and Dream No More, That Was Just Your Life. Disposable Heroes, Hero of the Day, Man Unkind, Damage Incorporated, Motor Breath, Acoustic Version, No Remorse, All Within My Hands, Acoustic Version, Here Comes Revenge, All of Beyond Magnetic, The God That Failed, Lords of Summer, Battery, Atlas Rise, Slash Judas Kiss. I feel like they are structurally similar, but at the same time different. And I feel like they could blend if they really worked it in together. But I could also hear those songs separately. I just feel like they are similar in some ways. But so Alice Rise and Judas Kiss, Spit Out the Bone, Low Man's Lyric, Freight Ends of Sanity, My Friend of Misery, Friend Tick, 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 Tock, Through the Never, Where the Wild Things Are, The House Jack Built, Bleeding Me, Fight Fire with Fire, Dyer's Eve, The Shortest Straw, and Struggle Within. Those are the songs that I want to see. Ooh, yeah. All of them, but those are... <laughs> The ones off the top of the dome, and I doubt if we're gonna play any of them. <laughs> but if they do, I'll be surprised. 
It'd be interesting if they play any of them. We'll see. Yes, I'll be like, yeah! they better play Battery. They better play Battery, and bl- they better play Blackened. Did I even put Blackened? Yeah, you did. Okay. Oh, I did. I put I put it in like caps on caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I want to see. So I I love that you are very kind and you know you're. Oh, you're it's my first show. I want them to surprise me. You're definitely suspender, suspending or surrendering your expectations yeah. way more than I am. <laughs> so, with this very long episode, do you have uh, any thoughts around all of this? I know this is a huge thing for you. You're going to see Metallica for the first time. That will be my second, but it will be the first time in 30 years. Right. <laughs> but is there... You know, are there any thoughts? What, uh, you know, anything you want to say? To- I just, well, I mean, I guess I'm just saying I, I'm just going to be curious to see how they re- connect. Because I know one thing, you know, of course, there are some Metallica fans. I've seen them thousands of times, yeah. every single time they perform. And one thing about me is I was fortunate enough to see Prince many times. And I only and one, seen him once. <laughs> right. You only seen him once. One thing about Prince, though, is like intimate settings where he felt like the love was there, he did a lot more. Yeah. So it would just be interesting to see if they do the same thing at, at the show, how they're going to react to the crowd, and if they're going to like go off of the energy of the room, or if they're going to stick to what they've already set up to play. Just from uh, knowing what I know and seeing a ton of their shows, they feed off <clears throat> the energy of the crowd, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I figured that as much. And I feel like it's going to be A, it's you know been a pandemic. <laughs> B, um, they they have been doing shows, but it's very different because it is literally the fan base that is going. So it's gonna be a very uh, it's gonna be very special, I think, for them. Um, they were doing smaller shows like the Independent. They went back to the Metro, so that was also the fan base, and those are more intimate. But I think. With this, given that is a 40th anniversary celebration, um, a little bit of the element that's probably really sentimental, uh, way more than, you know, the the other shows they've been doing. You know, there's other stuff going on the weekend. We're going to go see Kamasi Washington. Uh, so, you know, that'll be really cool. <laughs> And Kamasi Washington was one of the folks on the blacklist in My Friend of Misery, which is one of my favorite tracks on the blacklist. So, yeah, I think it'll be really fun. I, I do want to ask, is there anything you'd like to say, you know, in case folks from, you know, the, the fifth member community, the fan base, in, in case <laughs> say, is there anything you'd like to say as a person who is just getting into Metallica? Well, I guess it would just be like, you know, the Metallica, I don't I, like just listening to Metallica. I can say that they're definitely they're like mu- mu- uh, mood music. I definitely listen to them a lot when I'm really trying to be reflective or even working out because the it's just heavy and mm-hmm. I can appreciate the heaviness because I feel like as heavy as it is, there's still a softness to the community that mm-hmm. it seems visible. So that's pretty cool. You know, it's not like people are assholes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for the most part, no. <laughs> as far as I know, I think people people have been pretty cool in my experience. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty supportive of one another. Um, yeah, so that's cool. I think, honestly, 
you know, you being there and people will probably, you know, if they see you, they'd be like, hey, what's up? How, how many, you know, have you been at the rail? You're like, I don't know what the rail is. And they'll explain. And, you know, or how many shows have you seen? You're like, this is my first one. And be like, ah, welcome to the family. It'll be like that, I think. It'll be my like, welcome yeah, to the Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, good luck. Because you're going to get roped in a lot here. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think. You will have a really good time, Jesse. I, I think you will. I'm really happy for you. Your experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, any, any last words before we end this episode? <laughs> no last words outside of I can't wait to see the show. And we'll definitely be giving our updated review experience once we go to both shows because we're seeing them twice which is yeah, even 17 and we would have to do one for Kamasi Washington too just cause yeah I wonder if Kirk and Rob are going to uh, guess there because so they did uh, Kamasi Washington did do a performance he did My Friend of Misery and then they did a play with him on that so it might happen again um, and then again Kirk and Rob are doing the wedding band right after the first MTF. So that's, woo, it's going to be a lot. And then again, everybody named mom is going to go to that. So I'll hear all about it. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be fun. They're doing a film festival. They're having, uh, there's some Metallica mashup party. There's a lot of stuff going on the weekend and I'm sure not even everything has been announced, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be intense in a lot of ways. Overwhelming for me. Uh, you know, it'll be the first show that I've seen, well, not only since the pandemic, but since uh, I got in the accident. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. And yeah, I think um, I definitely will cry a few times. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think it'll be great. So I'm glad, you know, if I had to go with anybody, I'm glad it's you. <laughs> oh, that's how I feel. Like I couldn't imagine going with anyone else, especially since you introduced me to them. Oh. Crazy enough. So this will be fun. Can I stop the battery? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Metallica, for sharing your music with us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as Jesse said, we will definitely update you after the shows. And yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And It'll also be interesting, you know, if we maybe even talk to some folks and get some perspectives too. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll definitely see what happens. But yeah, thank you so much thank for, you listening. All for listening. For sure. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, I don't know. We'll see if it'll be another two years before we do another. <laughs> There's a lot that's happened, y'all. Like, Give us a break, as George Michael said. Give us a break, somebody. Give us a break now. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Mataka. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. And be well. And keep listening to Metallica. <laughs> yes. <laughs>